This episode of Lightning Strikes Thrice is brought to you by our incredible patrons, patrons such as Michael Mays and Laura. If you want to help us keep making the show like they do, you can visit pitchdrop.cash and contribute as little as a buck a month. We really appreciate it. listening to lightning strikes thrice the jrpg games club podcast that leaves their gfs at home <laughs> this is season nine episode two covering the intro through the training center or dollop mission we'll see how it goes in final fantasy 8 for the ps1 i am your host matt marcus my pronouns are he him and with me today is sybil arnett she her ryan Beatty, they them cole ross he him welcome back thanks cole. for joining us cole yeah, Good thank you very much for having me. Thank you for waiting two years to come back after we did Xenosaga. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> like, Chris is so salty that you called it. It would be two years last time you were on. <laughs> oh, I, I, I did not mean to make anybody salty. I'll do, I'll do a lot uh, to, guest on, uh, to guest on somebody's show, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just, it, it is a fun thing to do. Xenosaga is a little bit too rough of a putt. However, yeah. I love yeah. Final Fantasy VIII, so this is great. Mm. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Glad to get you in on the ground floor so you don't have to play through a whole disc with us to to get here too. <laughs> I mean, I it would be tough with other assignment play that I do, but uh yeah, I I probably would be able to swing it. I really like this game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same. I mean, this is this is the the game that made me who I am as a gamer, which is a weird thing to say, but it's technically <laughs> true. It's it's so it's so funny. I I expected this first disc or this first episode for me to be like, oh, I'm bored. I'm sad. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. hold up. And I was just hyped the whole time. I was like, this game is so good. This game is so good. <laughs> it it starts like going very strong. Yeah. 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 Even though it it like technically like the plot is a slow starter. It the the whole game. It just it feels it feels good to be back. Well, it yeah. feels way more snappier after playing a lot of Persona, so... Yeah. Matt, I think you just... I think you just gave me an existential crisis with the this game defined me concept, because I just thought, oh no, mine's Wizardry 4. Ooh. <laughs> there were worse, worse ones The definition than that. Yeah. of a troll game. And if you get the Grandmaster ending, it makes sense why I would say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Before... We get into the intro cutscene. The something that we didn't really talk about in our intro episode that I want to go into a little bit is the mm-hmm. Amano title art. So like Oh yeah. Especially during the Super Nintendo and the PlayStation era, the Amano title art was trying to say something about the thematic focus of the game. As the thematic focuses of the games became more and more muddled as time went on, the Amano art also became more muddled. He also like was, you know, less active in Square in general, and so he probably didn't care as much. Too busy uh, creating samurai portraits of Shinzo Abe. Woof. <laughs> but this one is 
Renoa in Squall's arms, which really yeah. foregrounds how much their romance is going to play a part in the themes of this game. And it strikes me that, you know, this is like the romance angle, the high school angle. There are so many things that are departures from previous Final Fantasies. And I am wondering if they, I couldn't find stuff in the development about this, in the uh, development notes about this, but like, they probably made Squall and Renoa the focus because audience reaction to Cloud and Aerith was so mm, yeah huge. Do you think, like, does that make sense? I that would tracks. say, yeah. Yeah, I would say that tracks. Word up. Cole, you're about to say something? Oh, no, I was going to say that absolutely tracks. Um, yeah. So much so that, like... I, when I think about this game, I don't think about the romance and the actual steps and stuff. But that feels like more of the marketing angle. So much mm-hmm. so, like the you know the dance scene, uh, you know, was the thing that they showed off. It felt like a lot of yeah. the time, right? Like this yeah. feels kind of like of a of a piece with Final Fantasy VII and being a game that's kind of about identity a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the the romance angle being foregrounded like that always felt a little strange. But I do feel like it is a response to a Cloud and Aerith kind of being the main discussion in seven yeah for sure like i could just imagine a version of this game like if you made something with this kind of focus in 2022 it would have visual novel elements in that relationship oh like you know it percent you know it 100 percent 90 percent of the time no shame yeah (laughs) fair enough yeah like it kind of does have like it gives you dialogue options it's yeah, just it was... doesn't tend to affect a lot most of the time but we'll 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 get into it let's uh let's yeah dive right in with the intro cutscene. this nonsense <laughs> yeah so uh-huh. the intro cutscene is just the debut of kingdom hearts because <laughs> hey call me wrong but it's a montage with cutscenes and random dialogue throughout the game before it picks up at uh, the present, which is kind of fluid in this game. And we start with a beach, again, very Kingdom Hearts, <laughs> while a chorus is singing uh, pseudo-Latin. Uh, I think the lyrics given here are Fithos, Lusec, Wecos, Vinosec. I don't know, sounds Italian to me, but we don't have Chris. <laughs> <laughs> As the camera moves over the ocean, we see text of a conversation, which I am going to try and act out for you as faithfully as possible. I'll be here. Why? I'll be waiting here. For what? I'll be waiting for you. So, if you come here, you will find me. I promise. And then we cut to a nice-looking raven-haired girl in a field of flowers. Wonderful transition from the cutscene team here, where she captures a flower petal, which will then turn into a feather, which will float into a stormy sky and be replaced by a gunblade spinning as it hits the ground and is picked up by protagonist Squall. We should uh, talk about how the gunblade is one of Mm -hmm. the silliest weapons that has also become (laughs) kind of series-iconic. Funnily enough, yeah, because, like, I mean, most of the other games, like, you have your swords and maybe a spear and maybe a staff. But, you know, yeah, like, Save the Queen is, like, a recurring name of a weapon, but it's not a recurring, like, weapon weapon. So Squall's Gunblade here, it looks like an enormous revolver with, like, a two-handed grip that is attached to what looks like a folding knife, like a folding knife blade. And... 
it's absolutely ridiculous, but I I love it. The only thing that bothers me about it really is the uh, the little uh, keychain that's hanging off the end of it that has a little uh, a little symbol of a lion with a cross in it that becomes plot important later. Griever. Also, very Kingdom Hearts. Very also, Kingdom that Hearts. is the most Kingdom Hearts like aesthetic. Yeah. In this yeah. game, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. The, the, this this is obviously Nomura being given the keys to the car and just being told, mm-hmm. just fucking floor it, man. The keyblade yeah. to the kingdom. The furry uh-huh. vest is really the one that tells me Nomura had some things. That is an accessory only Nomura would design. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah. It, a, yeah, a, a bomber jacket that has more fur than leather. Absolutely. J- just the mechanics of the gunblade are the thing that I can't square, and it feels very Cinemason's nitpicky to be like the gun and the blade obviate each other. They're not they're not working in tandem because like if you swipe down and you pull the trigger, the bullet is not gonna go where where it's actually going to cause any damage. And so they say that it's like the additional concussive impact of the like trigger pull it creates more force or whatever and that's it's dumb i love this yeah. weapon but <laughs> in a practical sense it is completely nonsensical yeah the way they describe the way it works is that it vibrates the blade as like you know like and that that kind of like extra wiggle is what helps the cutting power of it so it's not mm. like it's adding extra force downwards or through a strike it is making the blade move, which supposedly will make it cut better. I don't know if that's true. I don't Absolutely. know if Nomura just was like, hey, I I got a Christmas turkey. I got to figure out how to cut this thing. Ooh, this these, uh, <laughs> you know, these running knives, these look really cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> to, to, to me, the thing that weirds me out is that the, uh, the, the, the grip, like the handle mm-hmm. is perpendicular to the cutting action of the blade. Mm-hmm. as well which feels weird. yeah yeah it just it's, seems it's the worst it's yeah. the worst with ciphers ciphers is the one that is the <laughs> least practical because you would break your wrist trying to hold that damn thing up yeah yeah well but, you know based off that please look these up because we're talking about this and i'm sure that like me you're going to hear gunblade and you're going to have assumptions like <laughs> oh yeah maybe it's a bayonet thing or maybe it's a rifle but ba- no it's like somebody stuck a revolver inside Cloud's sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they all get sillier from there, which also tells me these aren't mass manufactured that they can right. be this different. No. Right. Nope. So yeah. some smith is creating custom gun blades and then uh-huh. forging these fucked up handles into them. And the funny <laughs> thing is that like, we find out that gunblade specialists are extremely rare. In fact, we only meet two of them, or at least mm. people who wield them. And so this is like, maybe it's a new technology. Maybe it is a like relatively new thing. But like, I, I just reached out, like, because I, of course, it's within reaching distance of me of like, I was so obsessed with this game that like, when I was in college and I joined a fraternity and they're like, you got to make a paddle. And it's like, you can make it anything you no. want. And so I made a gunblade paddle. No, <laughs> Matt. Oh my god. You you just combined nerd shit and frat shit in this dark dark covenant. That is so cursed. I I know. I know. I couldn't think of anything else that was like what is the most me thing I can make out of a plank of wood? Fuck. And I like 
And also, like, one of our brothers, I, we were a nerdy frat, for the record. Everyone was, like, pretty nerdy. But, like, one of the brothers had, like, access to a wood shop. And I'm like, hell yeah, I know what I'm doing. So I hung out with him and uh, helped make his. Although I did make the handle too small for, to be an actual, like, replicate uh, or replication of Squall's one. But, yeah, it's the fucking nerdiest thing I've ever done. <laughs> so um, I went to a very d- tiny liberal arts school in central Ohio. Shout out Kenyon College. Uh, you were only oh, good yeah. for some things. <laughs> and weirdly, for a liberal arts school of 1600 or fewer people, there was a Greek system, which is absolutely bizarre for most liberal arts schools. But because it was Kenyan, like some of the frats were extremely fratty and awful, and some of them were extremely nerdy. And one of them was mm-hmm. a poetry frat, where it was that was like they were all poets, but it was a fraternity. But the national chapters had, like in other schools, had stopped being so poetry focused and were extremely fratty. And so when they had like frat exchanges, where like members of the ADPI would come from other schools would come visit. Uh, the Kenyan 80 pies, they would always be like, oh my god, y'all are fucking dorks. Where are the girls? Like, where's the partying? Why are y'all reading fucking poetry? God. It was so good. Uh, that's so funny, because like, I mean, we had a similar experience where like, we were the nerdy ones, and then like, there were extremely fratty ones from like, I was in Fight Sigma Kappa in UVA, and uh, we're probably about to lose the house, honestly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had like people from like Clemson come by, and it's like, yeah, these are these are frat bros. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we we partied at the one at Alabama and Tuscaloosa, and that was an experience. <laughs> anyway, all right, yeah, so, gun, the gunblade. It's silly, but it rules. At least rules. I think two out of the three main hosts think it rules. Uh-huh. <laughs> Simple. I don't know what your thoughts are. I. I the sheer impracticality of it, and my brain just compares it to the Trail series, where they have new weapons. A character wields a cannon in that mm-hmm. series, which is new mm-hmm. tech. But also, nobody looks at it and goes, that's incredibly impractical. They're just like, this does not seem like a thing many people are going to use. Why did you design this for battlefield use? And she says, it's because I'm a 12-year-old girl, and this means I can stay out of the fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. There are pictures of a Civil War revolver with a blade of like roughly this like <laughs> size, not, not, not like full size, but like relative to the the actual like Smith and Wesson, it's like roughly the size of the blade on this thing. And it's ridiculous, but it's a real thing that has happened, apparently. <laughs> Imagine in Final Fantasy VIII's world, like, you know, 15 years from now, time compression with a K has been solved. And now gunblades are mass produced enough that you can like go on AliExpress and buy a gunblade knockoff. Oh. But the Ali, but the yeah, but the Alibaba yep. uh, gunblades just just blow up your hand just one hundred percent of the time. You pull the trigger and you just don't have a hand anymore. I'm imagining cheap fireworks stands selling these. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I I just dropped a picture of one in the uh, in the recording text. Like, that uh, is more reasonable because the barrel yeah, the can barrel. be used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But imagine yeah. like the strength to hold that thing up <laughs> to aim. God, yeah. You need you need a wrist brace too. Yeah, I think the reason it's in su- it's in such good condition is uh, that person never got to use it because they got shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. There are like I think there are like flintcock ones too. It gets real silly. Yeah, mm. if this was powder based, you're going to shank yourself trying to get the ramrod down that. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. definitely true. 
Uh, all right. So after the very beautiful but kind of nonsensical clip show that is like it's basically like the opening credits of a sitcom where you're just like seeing flashes of random characters with random, you know, like portentous words. We get a, a real scene at the end of this CG opening cut scene that actually follows some action where there is a duel between Squall and his class bully slash anime rival Cypher, who wields an even dumber gun blade. It's extremely well mo-capped for 1999. There are, you know, there's like magic being cast back and forth. And in the fight, Cypher actually slashes Squall across the face, giving him his iconic diagonal scar. And in a heated gun blade moment, Squall returns the favor. It, they're like out in kind of like these this blasted wasteland looking place. Cypher does the like, come here like hand wave beckon thing at some point <laughs> and then in through all of this we also see intercut this like woman with a like a extremely goth looking deep v dress and this like weird uh, kind of headdress that's behind her kind of wake up and stir we find out very soon that this is a sorceress who uh sorceresses play a huge part in kind of the overall lore and world building of final fantasy 8 and then the cg ends and we start to get the normal like polygonal characters in hand painting backdrops things um this is kind of nonsense this it's like the the, the duel is cool but yeah a lot of this is a bunch of flash and i'm realizing as an adult how incoherent it is but this was the hypest fucking thing i had ever mm. witnessed when i was 13 years old just absolutely like oh my god this is so cool <laughs> It's meant to be sizzle, right? Like yes. this feels like something uh, to be used in a trailer. Like a mm -hmm. lot of you know uh, happened with Final Fantasy VII too. But like people buy the bought these games based on the um, the trailers which featured the cutscenes, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you know, I I also was fucking wowed by this. Like after I saw it, I was like, I'll, I, I don't, I'm not going to start the game. I'll restart the system and watch this thing again. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. No worthy thing that feels like it comes out of this is that little uh, you know come here. You know, uh, mm. Kung Fu, like, ah, yes, I'm going to give you a free shot revolver Ocelot thing that Cypher does. That is instant characterization. The second somebody does that in any piece of media or fiction, you immediately think, screw that guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, and and it, it helps that he looks like an 80s yuppie villain. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like he looks like Don Jr. He really does. <laughs> like slick and back blonde hair. <laughs> What? lives for so, new year's eve <laughs> <laughs> we probably we has daddy issues because of <laughs> orphan but you yep. know we we talked a lot about this in the xenosaga seasons where i was unaware of anime conventions and you know anime story yep. tropes when i first played this game and with like the knowledge that i have now it's cast in an extremely different light but like even without the you know it's Anime and a lot of like Japanese popular media in general relies on a lot of shorthand, especially a lot of like character shorthand. But even without that knowledge, there is, like you said, Cole, a lot that is communicated here, which I love because, you know, the game, the CG cutscenes, they need to have a lot of character without being able to voice any dialogue at all. And I think that it works here. Absolutely. So. In this next little scene, Squall wakes up. He's in the infirmary. 
a woman in in like you know an adult woman in like this dress with this kind of like green shawl that's around her shoulders looks mm-hmm. in through from a window and says so we meet again squall and then leaves very cryptically so we're you know sowing seeds early Squall is then picked up by his teacher, Quistus Trape, who uh, is is rocking like a hot librarian look and teases <laughs> him because his responses are so predictable. Every single character who's going to be in your party at some point is introduced with an extremely brief CGI cutscene because Square was flexing their money muscles mm-hmm. at this point. And a lot of them are, are unnecessary. This one feels extremely funny because we just get like two seconds of her looking at Squall who hurt himself and like rolling her eyes and shaking her head and being like, oh Squall. Mm-hmm. And that's Quistus. By, by the way, by the way, Ryan, I very surprised you didn't go with Trap. Oh. <laughs> So, no, because it doesn't have the hat on the E. It, the, the hat on the E is what is what makes is what makes crap crap. Otherwise, you know, fair enough. Fair enough. I was crepe. just like th- th- I, when I like gave this section to you. I'm like, this is a riot draft. Right <laughs> <laughs> so we find out it's like we find out why Quistus is Squall's instructor, despite being so young. So she was a child prodigy. Uh, prodigy uh i just i just did uh a gary butterfield stanima um <laughs> who graduated at 15 and then became an instructor at 17 so right now she's only 18 one year older than squall this is why grad students should be at least in their mid-20s so they understand boundaries because mm-hmm. um, yes. she has an extremely uh sus relationship with well one-sided sus relationship with squall so Things that I was a little surprised by in this uh, replay immediately. Number one, that this woman in the green shawl shows up so early because in hindsight, it feels like a lot of the later plot beats in Final Fantasy VIII are totally thrown together and don't have any grounding at the beginning of the game. But this is a person who's going to show up later, and I was surprised that she was here so early. The second thing is that in the remastered version, the hand-painted backgrounds look so dire because they couldn't <laughs> up-res them. In you know, oh, PC yeah. versions, there are mods where you can get high-quality asset versions of them, and so they look more congruent with the new high-res character models. But on like the console versions, they are in that old resolution and they look so crude and i was just looking at them like this used to be the height of graphics this was as good as a background could look and it's wild to see what's even more wild is sometimes like uh sid later or a couple of the students in the classroom scene um they just like they're, they weren't actually character models. They just put the yeah. character models into the hand-painted background. And so they stay like uh-huh. dark and low poly and ugly. And it's and so when you can it's interact so with funny. them, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, And you don't think you can interact with them. But right. if you had played the game before, you know, like, oh, yes, it has dialogue here. Yeah, I, I pointed that out when we get to like the mission, like before we go out to the mission, because that is the first time it really jumps out at you. But it happens multiple times. It's so funny every time it happens. Yeah. 
And then the yeah. last bit, which we've talked about, which we touched on briefly, is that there are moments of character choice. There are moments where, like, you can choose what Squall's reaction is to give yourself a little bit more ownership of Squall's characterization. Squall's characterization is, like, awkward and surly because he's a teen who doesn't know how to talk to people and doesn't know how to open up to people. And, like, you can be more helpful or less helpful, but kind of, you know, in the Mass Effect Shepard style, it's like, they're all going to be Squall responses. But I, I, it was, I was surprised at, like, there are a number of them in the sequence that we're going through. We're we're finally getting past but thou must, even if it's still mm-hmm. just as cyclical in looping you into the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's funny, there are actions you can take in this game that have usually minor consequences later on, but it never signals to you that it's going to do that to you. Like... Mm-hmm. What happens if you pick up the Timber Maniacs number one in the hotel instead of at the train station or if you don't pick it up at all? Like that changes a scene way later, completely unrelated, Mm -hmm. but it does. And there's a lot of things in this game that do that. But uh, anyway, uh, so we are in Balam Garden, which is one of the three major mercenary academies in this world. And. Graduated mercenaries become members of the elite group called Seed, and that is spelled capital S, lowercase e-e, capital D. I don't know why. It just is. There is no official acronym I searched. I searched art books. Yeah, (laughs) it's just you have garden, you have seeds. Get it? Anyway, students need to pass a live field exam to graduate by the age of 20 or else they are kind of just kicked out. Sorry, good luck. And... I'm not sure how this works because I don't know how much conflict there is going on like day to day to have that many field exams. I guess so, because like we find out characters have taken this multiple times while still being under 20. This is again, this it's going to be so hard to not get into TV trope said at best nightmare fuel shit, but like <laughs> the geopolitics of Final Fantasy VIII's world are so bleak if you think about them for 30 seconds. And oh, yeah. one of the things that you find out in this later, it's like, uh, it, we're, we're going to talk about it in just a second in like the computer terminals and shit, is one of the gardens, the seeds just graduate to be part of the Galbadian army. And what that means mm. is that the gardens are perpetuating a cyclical conflict because we are taking a job for the people that Galbadia are invading. And so if there is a whole other garden that's just feeding soldiers to Galbadia, like the garden system, because the way they make money is child soldiers have a vested mm-hmm. interest in perpetuating yeah. war. It it gets really weird when you start going to other gardens and you think like, oh, this is like rival schools, but they're murdering each other. Yeah. 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 And they don't focus on how messed up that is. Like, nope. there's a violence being done even above and beyond the, the battles that these kids are being sent to. And I felt this dissonance. I'm just like, yeah, this is this is messed up. These are child soldiers. Then I remember like, oh, we sent 17 and 18 18 year old kids to die in Normandy. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think the thing that just like the the thing that makes that pop off and feel really crazy is the high school environment. 
of this yes. uh, of, of this entire world. There's something about the fact that these are people. I think they've got a cafeteria. Like it's common knowledge, you have to make a rush for the hot dogs, or yeah. else they're gonna yeah. run away. And then <laughs> it's you're so gonna, funny. And then, like it'll remind you. You will find this out in so many ways if you like bop around Balam Garden in this early section. Like Ryan just posted one where it's like in the classroom there is an announcement board you can talk talk to you can interact with, and it'll tell you this. Like, hey, you know, be don't don't push when you're in line for the hot dogs. And I'm like, I, I want to know what they were in Japanese because they're <laughs> probably not hot dogs, or maybe they were hot dogs. So this is a pseudo European setting, but like, it it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, there are tonal like jumps like that, and I think I forget if it was Katase or Numura who was like, I want the main character to be a mercenary who is traditionally considered the bad guy in stories like that flip was intentional but you can't make them on like all unlikable or like the whole system unlikable or else you won't connect to any characters right mm -hmm. right and so they're like yes we are sending teens off to die for profit but also uh we want a high school slice of life anime environment on top of that <laughs> yeah yeah so we have a classroom scene here, speaking of high school, where Quistus lays out that there is a seat exam later that day, and after concluding homeroom, she asks Squall to speak with her. And Quistus happens to have these three groupies who call themselves the uh, Trapies. I'm going to go with Trapie. I don't know how to pronounce any of these things. There's like two girls and a guy. And if you like talk to all of them, they're like, you better stay away from her. Or like, oh, I'm so jealous that you get lo alone time with her. And like, if you talk to the to the male one who's designated number one for some reason later on in the cafeteria, he's like practically rubbing himself while thinking about how quote unquote sinful she is like that. Sinful is a word like actually from his dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, real, real kind of gross, but <laughs> anyway, you can actually win the Quistus triple triad card from supposedly any of these characters. I've only gone after the one in the cafeteria, but uh, yeah, that's like, the best card you can get at the beginning of the game. Yeah, it's a major part of uh jump of the power curve, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, ugh. <laughs> so Quistus informs Squall he has got to finish his field study in the fire cavern before the seed exam that day. But since she wants to see him succeed, she's going to wait at the front gate and accompany him on this mission. In theory, you'd think, oh, that's as a teacher, but uh, maybe, maybe these aren't all instructor-based? Who knows? <laughs> we can check the computer terminal built into our desk for a bit of general information and world-building lore. There's a in-garden chat room where people have flame wars and fight with each other because it was 1999 and we didn't mm -hmm. yet get to the point of wild shit yet. <laughs> this is where you will first hear that there is a school festival at the garden. And the previous chair was so obsessed with organizing it, they never ended up graduating because they spent three years trying to do it and ne neglected their studies and failed to pull it off. Just a completely wasted life. <laughs> failed on <laughs> it. Yeah. Uh, there's some mentions of the hot dogs in the cafeteria. I did check around and in the Japanese script and some of the cutscenes confirm this. It's actually pan, bread. Just generic bread is what's used in place of hot dogs. But no. since that can refer to so many types of rolls, they translated into something that would make more sense. You can actually see a couple of cutscenes have rolls that might be described as a hot dog bun. 
does this computer interface is this where it says do not ask questions about the gfs just like yes, hey, maybe yeah. using too it much it does okay. say that in there uh mm. and there there are other moments where like oh yeah that that's a big thing it won't come up this episode really because that becomes a big thing later but yeah there are multiple times where if you're digging around you'll hear mention that there is some naysayers about using these things called gfs and everyone just said it doesn't say what it does or like what the commentary is they just say just ignore it it's not a big deal like just trying to suppress suppress it with propaganda i mean they actually do say there are worries that excessive gf use could lead to memory loss uh here like right here in this oh is it it here okay i forgot if it was right here or later yeah Yeah. it is specific they they talk about the gf memory loss which is wild (laughs) yeah yeah it it (laughs) <laughs> but it's so buried like you have to go looking for it mm-hmm. in a way that's like needed that needed to be seated earlier but in a more obvious place for what yeah. they end up using this for so well that and again it's like we we talk about how the plot of this game feels like haphazard and how it like each disc feels like it has a totally different plot but all the seeds were here like they they almost put it all together and they didn't quite. And so when you find these little hints of like, oh, there there is actually something coherent here, it it's all it's almost more frustrating. It's like it's fun to find an Easter egg, but it's also like uh, you were so close to making this all make thematic sense and you just quite didn't quite get it there. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually found one of those in the Windhill flashback like mm. last night. Uh, which I'll I'll save to that episode. But like, yeah, it's one of those things of like, oh, you just explained the plot to me. <laughs> but yes. it's this guy who is like off to the side who you wouldn't have like I had I had played this game so many times. I had never talked to that guy. I had never gone to that side of the screen before because it's not in the, like the main way to get out of that uh, out of that section. But anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, just some other little notes. Uh, one of the posters is going by ZD. Cypher is an asshole online as well as in real life. And this terminal and the information it will update regularly because as the plot is moving on, people are still posting. So (laughs) it's great that you have to return to the garden every time to look these up. If you want. (laughs) There's there's stuff in here like this is part of where you get answers for your seed tests, right? When you're doing Mm -hmm. the rank upgrades. Yeah. Oh, I I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, not everyone's using a guide. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. So, um some some world-building things, additional world-building things that I found were interesting that were seeded so early. So, you know, they don't really talk about what a guardian force is in in like actual physical terms much in the game, but here's the closest that we we get is here where they call it an independent energy force. And so this game buries Final Fantasy's like a long standing relationship with Gaia theory, but because Gaia theory is such a huge part of Final Fantasy, basically it's saying that like, you know, if a bunch of of natural energy of a certain type, if there's enough of a concentration, it turns into a yokai, essentially. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we go to the fire cavern, there is a whole bunch of hot fire energy. That fire energy, if concentrated, has a consciousness. It develops a consciousness of some sort. So that's interesting. They also have, it's like they're there's a distinction between the magic that sorceresses use with 
paramagic, which is developed by Dr. Odin after studying a sorceress, which allows regular people to control the energy that exists in this universe in a similar way to what sorceresses do, but they have to use technology to do it. And mm -hmm. then there's also a little tidbit that, like, there is no factual evidence on the origins of sorceresses, but they are believed to date back to ancient times. Also, we find out that applicants to Garden uh, are as young as five. Imagine, like, uh -huh. sending your child to a military boarding school that has actual combat stuff that they're going to do at age <laughs> fucking five. Jeez. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, so then uh, as we leave the classroom, a female student bumps into Squall. She says that she is a new exchange student from Trabia Garden and got lost on the way to class. You can give her a quick tour of Balam Garden using the directory. Uh, you don't give her a full tour because you're Squall. You just like point her to the directory and explain what each of the directory things says, which yeah. is great. Move. Yeah, he, he, he even mentions the hot dogs. Yeah. She is going to become a playable character soon, but because she's not a play playable character immediately, we don't get her CG cutscene yet, which is interesting. Uh, very pointedly, she looks like Phoebe, the new the new student on the Magic School Bus, the girl who goes at my really? old school a lot. She has a very similar haircut and a very similar face. I don't know if it was on purpose, but like Phoebe, Magic School Bus, and Selfie are the same person to me. <laughs> I see where you're coming from there, actually. Yeah. Flip. Yeah. Huh. And then, so on the second floor by the elevator, there is a guy who will give you a handful of triple triad cards and start the grand side quest that is triple triad. Uh, the cards that he gives you suck total ass. And so then if you, like, get one good card through, you know, fighting or whatever, or talking to people, and then you challenge someone to a triple triad match, and you only have that one good card, you're going to lose that good card immediately, because all of the rest uh -huh. of your cards are bad at this point. Yep. Before leaving the garden, uh, Quistus gives us our first guardian forces, Shiva, whose summon is an all-enemy ice elemental attack, and Quetzalcoatl, who is the same thing, but thunder, uh, and then runs us through a brief tutorial about junctioning. Um, you can skip this if you've played. Thank goodness for being able to, like, <laughs> skip a tutorial like this. That was not always the case in games of this vintage. Wait, you can? Oh, yeah. Oh, right. You could say, yes. you, oh, okay. Sometimes, sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. I forgot that this yeah. first one was skippable. Uh, the, the funny thing is when you're playing on the remaster... You cannot use the fast forward during any tutorial section. It is infuriating. Yeah, they're yeah. not done in the same engine because they're weird text on black boxes. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Those remasters are so cheap. <laughs> so the main thing that you need to know about junctioning and stuff is uh, you don't want to waste your AP points on useless GF abilities early on. You want to prioritize the junction skills that are going to be able to let you synthesize magic uh, from items because you will be needing to junction magic a bunch and also the stat junction abilities that actually give you the boosts that you need that straight leveling doesn't. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the limit breaks or any other like specific details of the characters as we get them. Uh, the first one being Squall's limit break, which is called Renzo Kuken, which literally means continuous sword. I don't know why they didn't localize this. This is the only thing that really isn't localized. <laughs> but it's a combo of physical attacks from four to eight hits, depending on your crisis level and RNG. 
and you can augment them with R1 trigger pulls, like with your regular attacks, which you actually get a tutorial about that in your first battle. <laughs> at the end, there's a chance that Squall uses a finishing move. And at the moment, the only one we have is called Rough Divide, which kind of mimics the upward slice that Squall used against Cypher in the intro cutscene, uh, which I think is a nice touch. And Quistus does Blue Magic, which she learns skills by feeding her. You, you find items or however you get your items from enemy drops or from cards and you feed them to her and she learns the skills. You can find out what skills they are. Like it, when you're in the menu, like looking through your items, it'll say, we'll give blue magic skill X. It doesn't tell you what it is, but enemies often have or use those blue magic skills. So sometimes you'll see it happen and then you could be like, oh, I want that. And then eventually you can get it. But right now she can only use laser eye, which just does like single target enemy damage, nothing specific. And uh, the damage for the ones that cause damage, because not all of them do, uh, scale with crisis level. So uh, just I, I, I know that we are going extremely slowly and densely <laughs> for the first bit of this game. And I apologize yeah. for that. But there's just like there's so much that I want to remark on here because there, it's like there, there are so many little details. This this game really front loads a lot of stuff uh and yeah. uh, which is which is important because the actual plot takes a while to get going and so it's wowing you with detail and spectacle a lot and it's very good at that and so there are little moments of characterization there are little moments of world building that like really go a long way as we're kind of waiting for things to get going one of those things is uh, we find out that that Cypher has two cronies and the three of them are like the school security squad. And so like they're responsible for like they're the students that are responsible for keeping the other students in line. And they're just like the three most violent students. So that seems great. <laughs> Raijin and Fujin are, are his two cronies. And Raijin is a proto Waka. He is. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> He is a, a dark-skinned guy who speaks in patois and says, you know, at the end of almost every sentence. And yeah. so, like, they're, like, Nomura has uh, some some ideas about Pacific Islanders. Um, <laughs> huh. I, 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 I swear that he must have, like, a Kansai dialect. I think that's probably what they did in Japanese for him, but it's, I have not yeah, confirmed it's, this. It's possible. And some other things, um, we find out that Squall has a reputation of being a problem child amongst faculty, despite being talented. Uh, we see these very, the school faculty are very ominously dressed in these yellow hats that completely cover their heads. <laughs> and another really neat thing is uh, that there are three girls who are like walking towards the outside of the garden as you like, you know, go go outside and start to head towards the overworld. They have like three different running conversations. So if you like exit out of the screen mm -hmm. and go back, they will say different things each time until you like hit the third one. And it's that that to me is is also a wild amount of detail, uh, which I think yeah, is neat. There's a lot of like I mentioned in the last episode, RNG all over the fucking place. Like the NPCs that show up in these different scenes are tied to the RNG seed because they're like, there's a certain one that I like to play cards with early on and he doesn't show up every time you, you know, are in the screen. So you got to like jump back and forth and back and forth. But, you know, if you're not trying to game the system like that, yeah, you're, you're going to spend a lot of time here. So it's nice that they built in some like variety in there so that if you're just kind of playing through naturally, it won't seem as repetitive. Right. It makes it feel very alive. I mean, yeah, 
relatively, yeah, you sure. know, grading on a curve. Yeah, mm. yeah. Also, just extremely briefly, um, I am bummed that Quistus's blue magic does not work like other Final Fantasy blue magic, where you just where she'll just like randomly learn an element, an enemy ability from fighting them every now and then. I, even though it is obnoxious to like grind for the good abilities using that kind of blue magic, it I I I like it. It's it's fun to me. Mm-hmm. They've experimented with the blue magic system a lot through this era. See how it would go from 5 to 6 to 7 to now, and then there's still another freak-on-a-leash version of it in 9. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, yeah. That's a very rude way to strike. <laughs> that character is an abomination. She's... This was before Vor was like common knowledge. Now Excuse, on the where internet, where are we going with this? <laughs> Does Aquino like eat things? Like isn't that yes. like their whole, whole thing? Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. All they right. eat monsters anyway. So let's cleanse our palate by just hitting the overworld for the first time, and I'm sure Matt has just cut in blue fields. Mm, Wonderful background music. You can head for the fire cave quickly, but you probably want to spend a little bit of time using the draw command on the world map to build up some magic stock. Uh, Cure and blizzard would be good things to find going into a fire cave where you will want to put out fires and stop being on fire. When you reach the fire cavern, two staffers will be waiting outside from the garden, and they will give you four time limit options in 10-minute increments, so from 10 to 40, to finish the task. 10's quite doable as long as you run through and skip random battles, but the time limit choice affects your seed rank later in ways that you can easily overcome if you want to take the safe one. Mm -hmm. You know, the funny thing about again, like the remaster thing is that when you use the fast forward, it doesn't fast forward the game timer. So <laughs> you can just run to the end of this dungeon and be there in like a minute because the timer doesn't run alongside because it, it's, it's, I guess it's tied to the music because the music doesn't speed up either. Mm-hmm. So I uh, like no time pressure. You're under like no time pressure here, but like the one weird thing about the way the scoring works here is that it's not grading you on how much time you have saved 
like how fast you do it, it's grading you on how much time is left on the clock. So the maximum score is when the clock is at zero. And that's <laughs> really, really strange. <laughs> that's such a basic thing. I understand that because that's the only way you're going to get a score multiplier on the 10 minute version. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I think the idea is that, yeah, like if you start with like 30 minutes, you're obviously going to have a lot of time left. So you're you did worse, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. But the, the way to game this is because that timer runs in the background during the like victory screen, you can just go like one step through the victory screen and just wait till the timer runs out and get zero every time. <laughs> so get the max score. <laughs> I, I like, was... No matter how long you sat. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say this at the end of the Dalit mission, but instead I'm going to say it now. I'm very thankful for the fast forward option for these these two timed missions that we have right at the beginning, because I don't think that countdown timers work well with uh, random battles where a lot of what you're doing is waiting because yeah. all mm-hmm. you, you just wa- as you're waiting for your bar to fill up your atb bar or as you're waiting for the other people to attack or as you're waiting for things to load in even um you're just seeing the clock tick down and there's nothing you can do about it and so it's like adding to your anxiety without actually inspiring you to take a more active role in making sure things go faster. And I don't think that anxiousness is worth it, especially when both of these timers are extremely easy to beat. It, it, it just, it, it adds nervousness for very little payoff. I think. There are better ways to add tension to these. I never find a countdown timer additive. Like even in the best examples, I think, I think final fantasy six does it a couple of times, the collapsing house five escaping from the what, five. Yeah. Five does as well. Yeah. Like those are, you know, big climactic scenes even still. No, they're, they're just better ways to do it. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'll go to this well a few more times after this episode too. Uh, like later on in the game, this is the most, like you're feeling it, especially because you don't know the game super well. And like if you're especially if it's your first time so you think oh yeah if i'm gonna summon quetzalcoatl a whole lot then that's gonna burn like two minutes every single time and so that 25 (laughs) minute i I think they're probably building in buffers so that like if you are leaning on the summons a lot you won't fail out Mm -hmm. but it's still yeah you're right like I, i don't love it here it also tricks you because the timer here in the fire cavern that's just the time to be to free you're not timing, going, right. beating him and getting back. So right. I always, whenever I go through this, I forget that. And I choose more conservatively <laughs> when this is like a three screen dungeon. There's no, why would you need 40 minutes to beat that? <laughs> yeah, it's three screens. It's a straight line. You should have just given you, hey, 10 minutes. Here you go. Yeah. yeah. Something that's nice in this dungeon is that if you didn't, if you did make a beeline, even though it's a fire cavern, there is one extremely easy enemy that that stocks blizzard and so you can draw blizzard from the bool enemies when you're in in the fire cavern itself because like you know you just from the from the the transitive property of jrpg elemental affinities you should know that if you're going to be going into a fire cavern probably they will the boss will be weak to ice so i'm glad that they that the bool enemy the little flying three-winged biblical creature has blizzard (laughs) for you to draw yeah. yeah, and it's good, like, if you... Because, like, running to those jellyfish dudes in the field is actually kind of hard. You're mostly going to run into the little fly dudes who have mm-hmm. fire instead. Mm-hmm. So, like, unless you know to look for it, 
uh, yeah, it's good that you you're able to run into it here. I, I didn't also mention this, but there are bombs in here. Uh, this is the first time bombs show up. And when that happens, Quistus is like, by the way, use ice on these guys. Yeah. I love their death animation, the way they just kind of fall and roll. <laughs> so good. Oh, yeah. The, all the death, like a lot of the death animations are really well done in this game. Yeah. Bombs have probably the best death animations once the series becomes 3D. Because, yes, these little floating orbs just suddenly keel over and turn into a bowling ball. <laughs> yeah. And as mentioned, Quistus is accompanying us on the mission and will continue to flirt with Squall in vain the entire time until we run into Ifrit. <laughs> so Ifrit the boss is super easy. Um, he casts fire, which is not super threatening. His other move is a punch, which does over 100 damage. Right now, everyone's health is like at at three to 400 max, uh, but he doesn't spam it. And so he's not going to like hit you with it in, like the same party member with it over two or three consecutive attacks. So if we just hit him with blizzards and uh, Shiva's diamond dust summon attack, then we'll be fine. If you do summon Shiva, Ifrit comments on it like, oh, you already have a guardian force chained to you. Interesting. Um, or, you know, a guardian force fighting alongside you. And so when you win, Ifrit des uh, decides to join you. Uh, and you also get his triple triad card again because the metaphysics of guardian forces aren't super explained or do we just this is like a, a a 100 level test but we just get the only ifrit or will the fire energy replenish and there will be another ifrit yeah. for another student later not really I, sure that was that's one thing about like the metaphysics of this game that i've always really wondered like how do you have this many seeds running around if your thing is guardian forces and there's only a finite number of guardian forces and you have all of them <laughs> basically mm -hmm. by the end of this game, they, they don't explain. And I don't think they've ever, we never run into another person who's wielding a guardian force that to my knowledge. Right. I mean, even right. when we, even if we are fighting bosses that have them, they don't use them, mm -hmm. which I just realized right now is very strange. Yeah. yeah. Cause they know so, they're dangerous. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, uh, Ifrit has uh, already has the elemental attack junction uh, skill opened up, and so we don't have to learn it. And so we will get a brief tutorial about elemental junctions. He also has the uh, strength junction standard, and so with Shiva, we now have uh, two characters who, if we junction magic, uh, can have boosted strength as a stat. Other key skills he can learn here are ammo refine, which is available at level 10, which is which is primarily used to make ammo for a future character's limit break, but is also needed for some weapon upgrades, which is uh, nasty. Your comment just now about not knowing how anyone interacts with the same thing has made me realize this game basically got reworked over the next 10 FFs into various standards because... There's another version of the military school and summons in Type 0. Mm. There's a lot of character archetypes who come back in FF10. Mm -hmm. There's the RNG thing taken to an extreme limit in FF9. There's You're making me realize that part of why I think I'm so underwhelmed by this game is that this is the second to last ff i've played in the series the only two i haven't finished as of now are eight and nine mm -hmm. and it's because i've seen all of this elsewhere yeah. yeah i mean it's funny i i didn't mention it earlier but raijin and fujin were designed for final fantasy 7 and got replaced by the turks a so lot of things were designed for ff7 
Pas- Parasite <laughs> Eve. Xenoverse. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Adia yeah. is also a Final Fantasy VII design that got brought into eight mm-hmm. or held over till mm-hmm. eight. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you're right. They, they are kind of playing in the same bits and pieces that have come back in other parts. I mean, Lightning has a gun blade. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah. A practical, yeah, a more practical version of it, but still. <laughs> It's funny, like Final Fantasy VIII is the sketchbook of stuff that they would develop into full pieces, you know, basically for the rest of the series so so far, you know, yeah. and and mm-hmm. nine is one that is entirely looking back. Mm-hmm. The PS era was weird. Yeah, for sure. This the PS era Ultimania book of art and everything is the only one I haven't bought because two thirds of it is games. It's just like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. If it had tactics, I would have paid for it, but it doesn't. So when you return to the garden, Quistus gives us one more tutorial about setting the abilities that GFs will learn, then tells Squall to change into his exam uniform and prepare for the seed field exam. And you're free to wander around for a bit. And uh, if you want to grind, you can go to the training center area. Just watch out for those T-Rex enemies. They will murder the shit out of you. They are real nasty, especially when you're low level. Uh, If you want to get into Triple Triad, you could do that by... Going for the Minimog card, uh, there's a boy who's running in the um, screen where the directory is, and if you play him enough times, he will eventually use it. And now that you have the Efrit card, you actually have something that has some like punch to it. And uh, as I mentioned before, you can get the Quistus card, but you probably you need at least the Minimog card and the Ifrit card to have any chance of winning. There's also a dude who has like level three car- boss cards, and like it, there's like things you can do right now that can make you very powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's all through the card game uh, at the time. So there's a lot you could do at the beginning right now, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And you could also yeah. go over to check out the check out the town of uh, Balam. But there is it. Do we say Balam or Balam? Which one do we want to pick? I've always used Balam like the Wonderworld. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I always use Balam in my head. I don't know why. You can check out the town of Balam, but there really isn't anything to do there. But as I mentioned earlier, there are two different copies of the Timber Maniacs magazine. And if you pick up the one that's in the hotel room, it changes a cutscene later, but it doesn't tell you this. <laughs> Timber Maniacs as a thing, if I'm remembering correctly, it is a Tiger Beat style heartthrob magazine about revolutionaries. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm it... not sure they describe what's in it so much. I just know that as you collect them, Selfie will update her journal in your computer. Like if you go mm-hmm. back to the classroom and we'll tell the stories of uh, Mr. Laguna, who we won't meet today. Uh, so there's narrative connection to that. And now that you mentioned that if it's like a Tiger Beat style thing, that makes a lot more sense why they had Selfie tied to that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that before. That's very funny. I'm sorry, I just looked up the lore on this because I was curious, and there's a wild sentence we need. <laughs> uh, Timber Maniacs is a publishing company in FF8. Uh, it publishes many magazines, one of the more famous being Tim Mani, short for the company's name. They faced closure when Tim Mani was deemed dangerous to the administration for sparking revolutionist ideals. Since yep. then, they shifted focus to publishing battle magazines and photo books like Jacket Over Skin, the Beautiful Women Edition. What? <laughs> so they, I, so they went I had pub- never heard of this. They went from publishing agitprop to publishing cheesecake stuff? 
Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I would imagine they were also publishing cheesecake stuff, but it was revolutionary. <laughs> that's that. That's that my picture take. of Che with his shirt open. <laughs> right. Why not both? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that that one picture of young Stalin that everyone thirsts over and and been like, well, he hasn't massacred millions of people when he's this age. <laughs> this sounds like the worst time travel VN. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it going exists. around I'm seducing sure pre-atrocity genocidal dictators. Fuck. <laughs> but the thing is, if it were made, they would turn that person into an anime girl because you know the fate. Oh no, they exists. wouldn't. Have you not seen Daddy VNs? They're a thing. Oh sure, sure. I've also heard of what's the one where it's like Dream Daddy. You're thinking of Dream Daddy. No, I'm thinking of the. It's a. I think it's an anime series where it's like. One of the characters is like Nazi Germany, and the other one is oh, like Italia. We're not talking Italia. about Italia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We are not. Hey, There's a really that. dark path to go down. I have limits, shit. and we're not going there. <laughs> Absolutely not. Nope. So once you're ready to start your seat exam, head back to the dorms and change into the trainee uniform. It turns out that despite being a military academy, everyone is allowed to just wear whatever they want until it's time for exercises. At the directory, Quistus will roll call Squad B, which consists of Squall, High Energy Dipshit Zell Dinked, which is another name that I constantly read and think of Doug, and it's led by <laughs> Cypher. <laughs> Zell's got a pretty good intro here because he does some martial arts moves, backhand springs, and then does a very, oh yeah, frat boy cool guy pose. And he has a Mike Tyson face tattoo, despite being whiter than me. Yeah. Yeah. And he's our brawler. Like, he's our monk. He's such a clown. He's like, I know. He thinks he's so cool, but he's such a fucking rule-following, whiny dork. And it's so goofy, those two parts of his personality. He's like, yeah, let's get psyched. I don't want to break any rules. <laughs> I, I feel like everyone grew up knowing a kid like this. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I did, for sure. I, I wasn't him. <laughs> Let's listen to teacher to the extreme. I, I was a different kind of dipshit teen, not not a Zell type. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so Cypher arrives and he's got his buddies, the disciplinary committee, who we mentioned earlier. Raijin, burly dumb guy, you know, and Fujin, surly woman with an eye patch, speaks only in single words in all caps. Uh, apparently in Japanese, all her dialogue is written in kanji. Think budget whip from King of Fighters. When Quistus doesn't take any of his bullshit, Cypher tells his crew to put Inspector Trip on the list. Whatever that means. Um, They're such little, just little fashy dipshits. Yeah. Yeah. Brown shirts. Uh, And he's he's just like, he's... And then we find out, yeah, we find out later that he's like taken the exam like three times already. Like, just... fail son absolute fail well fail orphan um you just made me realize that our party consists of fuck around and find out because we have zell squall uh-huh. and cypher yeah. uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh here we also meet headmaster sid here's the manifestation of sid in this series or in this entry of the series uh he looks like a, a mashup of robin williams and tim robbins it's the more we find out about Sid, the more fascinated I am by the character of Sid, but we'll leave that for a little later. Uh, he is excited for both Squall and Cypher because Seed has never had a Gunblade specialist before, so hopefully one of them becomes that. 
we've talked mm -hmm. briefly about kind of the the stuff that the remaster does where it was like oh they they put sid's character model into the backdrop in order to save on memory costs in the playstation version but that means that they didn't update it with the real polygonal version so sid is like the ugliest as soon as you go back to talk to him he he is probably the worst victim of this so we talked a lot about squall's new like softer more yeah. bishy face in the remaster which is weird and gross compared to squall's like more he was never chiseled he was always a smooth boy but like mm -hmm. you know his face was more angular and serious and now it is so extremely bishonen but also sid and zell's new faces like <laughs> zell's new face is so narrow he looks like a baby now like he looks like a child ass child and sid sid's face is so wide and frog-like in the new remastered version as well <laughs> they're just like all, like the facial features of the remastered models all kind of are nightmarish to me. Yeah. So Squad B plus the Instructor Quistus ride in this like hideous little squad car, uh, yeah. hideous little car to Balam. Or see, this is we've already said Balam, Balam, and Balam at this point. We could, yeah, you know, a lot of us played this game around around eighth, ninth grade, so it makes sense. In the car, Zell gets bored and starts shadowboxing, prompting Cypher to insult him by calling Zell a chicken wuss, chicken wuss, which is like, oh shit. Zell flips Cypher off, which is absolutely hilarious. Squall then asks Quistus about the woman who stopped by the infirmary, but Quistus apparently did not see her at all. <laughs> Cypher then takes a shot at Squall, saying, you just hit puberty, uh, which... Yeah, okay, he's a teenager. That's what that means. Anyway... We get control of the car to drive to uh, <laughs> Balam, and apparently you can cause a glitch in a cut, in a cutscene in town where the car will yep. slide perpendicularly down the street in Balam as if we were as if we were drifting in initial D. We make it to the seaport then and hop on an attack boat because they're <laughs> just you know that that's what that's what we're gonna go do. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, if you want to see that glitch, I think they did it in the. Uh gdq run of final fantasy 8 uh 2021 i forget it was ag i think it was agdq it's very funny uh so on the boat we meet sue who is a high-ranking seed member her first move is to dress down cypher by just like laying it out on front street that oh dude you failed this exam like three times you're back really <laughs> like try not to fail again and uh she gives the squad a mission briefing the city dukedom of Dalit has been invaded by the Galbadian army, and Seed has been hired to help drive the G army out of the now-occupied city. And she also mentions that an order to withdraw takes priority over all others. I fucking, I just, I fucking hate that they call the Galbadian army the G army. I, that, I think that's so dumb. Anyway. <laughs> would, the correct, would the correct nomenclature be the G unit? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is a much better. Uh, well, the G army is made up of G units. I mean, that's uh -huh. just how it works, uh -huh. right? <laughs> so, Yo, Cypher, hit that big ass ramp. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, Cypher sitting there with his legs up on the center table, clearly not taking the mission seriously at all, yet relishing his role as a leader. And there are some optional dialogue you can select here. Funnily enough, if you pick any of them besides just say nothing, you lose points on your score. Oh, the, you don't really learn much from them. You just get a little bit of uh, 
color uh, from the three characters who were there. But after a bit, Cypher says, hey, uh, go check out, see what's going on outside. And you can say yes or no. And if you say no, you lose points. If you say yes, you do well, because apparently Cypher's the leader. You're supposed to follow his uh, his commands. And so Squall goes up there. We kick off the mission with a pretty extensive cutscene where the boats silently cross the water underneath the moon. We will then cut to daybreak with Squall looking towards the shore and the battle has begun. The boat will smash through a stone barrier for no real reason, landing on <laughs> shore, and Squad B disembarks with orders to take control of Central Square, where we are immediately transitioned out of the cutscene into player control. So this cutscene was uh, the opening cutscene for the demo because the Dalit mission was also what the Final Fantasy VIII demo was based on. And so like a lot of people who had played the a lot of people who were excited about Final Fantasy VIII played the fuck out of that demo, myself included. Mm -hmm. And so I've probably seen this cutscene like nine or ten times over the course of my life. It's lost a little luster. The other thing that's lost a little luster is the fact that it is running at like 20, it's like 20, 25 frames a second. And so it's like, and also on HDTVs, it looks a little duller, but I, really the direction of the scene, the the camera work, it it's all so dynamic. There's so much going on that it still feels exciting, even though I can see how how dated it is from a technology standpoint. This is a fast follow off of Saving Private Ryan, right? I mean, yep. came out around <laughs> the same time. OK, I just wanted yeah. to check and see if anybody else felt that way. Oh, yeah, a, a lot of I think that that film's opening scene influenced basically anything involving boats in a video game to this day. Oh, if you yeah. have a landing. How many mm -hmm. World War II games have a Normandy beach invasion also? Call of Duty had it within two years. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. And, and Medal of Honor Allied Assault, which is mm, the right, game. Yes, with mm -hmm. Spielberg also had his name on. Yeah, so, yeah. and that was, that was the one that the, like, Weston Zampella worked on before creating Call of Duty. Like, so, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, Cole, did you play the demo by any chance? You know what? No, I didn't. Yeah, same. I also Yeah, haven't. that's weird. <laughs> yeah it was you know I, i'm like a year older than cole and like a couple years older than than matt this might just mm. it made it might have been my relative hype level uh at the time or something the thing was i uh i never bought parasite eve i rented it and i don't mm. think it came with the demo disc probably wouldn't have no yeah, yeah. i i think i got the playstation too late to have been like looking for games or like didn't have EGM yet and didn't know that there was this demo of this thing in another mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I, and I also didn't play like uh parasite Eve. So that's probably why I missed it, but it is interesting how like influential this particular cutscene is to like the history of the game. Yeah. So at this point, Cypher is now one of your playable party members. We're not doing an NPC thing. He's got the same, R1 extra trigger attack as Squall does, though it seems like the timing may be tighter. I don't know if that means he's more precise or much worse at this. <laughs> uh, this is the only time in the game where you will control him for obvious reasons, and his limit break, No Mercy, is again very reminiscent of the animation from the initial cutscene. Zell's limit break is dual. It's uh, very Saban-esque. 
a menu will pop mm-hmm. up with a list of two to three fighting game button combos and they kind of cycle rng wise you have like a larger list that starts out with like six or seven but balloons to like 11 or 12 by the end of the game and you have a countdown timer to input these commands and the timer freezes once you finish inputting a command and then the and then the move will happen the total time on the clock is based on the character's crisis level which is also the thing that dictates like you know how often your limit break is going to show up so like you know the lower your health for example the timing is pretty generous you can input the lower combo moves like punch rush in as little as 10 milliseconds the most important thing is just like the recognition of which moves are available to you and then like rushing to do one the optimal strategy is to keep using just the two button moves as fast as possible to milk the clock Doing so leads to Duel having the largest damage output in the game, and so the like the five input combos give the most damage, but will also terminate. That will be like the final move that you do. And so if you see mm-hmm. something that that costs five, don't do it unless you're extremely like there's not a lot of time left at all. The wiki says that uh, in ideal conditions, a single dual limit break can do upwards of 720,000 damage. Can anything stand up to that? Multi-hits. Yeah. Like max stats, probably with meltdown, so you have vitality zero on. And then, like, if you just input, like, booyah and punch rush back and forth as fast as you can, like, you could just do stupid damage. Mm-hmm. it's real silly uh, like i saw that number and i went like what <laughs> uh, the only thing that sucks about it is that actually doing that technique is really boring to do <laughs> i just get like bored halfway through the timer and i'm like ah, but i still want to kill this enemy so i'm gonna keep doing it but i mean that that is that is the ultimate kryptonite of final fantasy 8 in general is that a lot of the ways to break it make it more boring to play yeah yeah, yeah. So the squad fights a few scripted battles with soldiers and takes control of a plaza with a fountain. And there's a stray dog here that keeps bothering Cypher. He is uh, raring to go into some more fights, but his orders were to stay put and just hold their ground. And there's a sequence here where time goes on and the squad is getting really restless, just not seeing anything happen. The girl that you may or may not have given the campus tour to is actually like here on the beach. When you first get in, you can see her with her squad. I didn't remember to go talk to her this time. She might say something of like, hey, thanks for letting me, you know, showing me around. But uh, like she is present in that initial scene on the beach. I think she mostly just talks about the withdraw order and they all talk about Uh, like how most of the soldiers are gone and it feels like cleanup detail, which is the thing that Cypher is really mad about, too. Yeah, that makes sense. I this waiting scene really highlighted for me. So like huh, the in-engine cutscenes in this game that take place mm-hmm. on the hand-painted backdrops and our pantomime with text boxes are all really well directed and choreographed and blocked and even timed. And it's interesting with like that cutscenes where you have to press X to advance a, a, a text box could be timed. But like, you know, going back when Quistus is making fun of you as you're walking out of the infirmary together, she like says things at the same time that Squall says things. Here, I yeah. I I, I want to bring up how well choreographed it is because there is so much characterization in cypher's impatience as he goes nuts and it 
made me playing this game now in 2022 after i've seen where jrpgs go made me extremely resent the modern jrpg trope of just of just showing to visual novel style oversized vertical character portraits in front of the screen instead of actually animating any character action because there is so much that is communicated through these character animations here that just straight dialogue does not do and i'm sad that that is largely gone from most modern jrpgs as a crpg veteran i'm used to most of these things being just text boxes where i'm choosing things and maybe there will even be an animation so this has never bothered me i like the choice that some more modern games make where generic dialogue will just be a text box on the screen and maybe you can see them but a a more crafted cutscene kicks in at places if it's something of import yeah or like sometimes instead of the portraits you'll have the 3d models acting out as they're talking like i think last story does that but anyway you know what's funny the uh the stray dog like if you don't talk to anybody and you just kind of wait there that stray dog loop animation of it going around and bothering cypher and cypher shooting it away will just continue forever <laughs> More characterization on Cypher. He's introduced yeah. with the weird little jester, and he has no time for a dog. Well, what the what the fuck, dude? Yeah. Yeah, that's how you know he's the bad guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking I gotta kick say, a dog. How, how did we put the guy who's failed this three times in charge of the unit? That seems like you're setting up a whole class to fail. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, technically, I guess that means he has seniority. <laughs> It's yeah, true, it, but it, which know. which is more likely? The guy who can't do this screws it up for everyone, or the guy who can't do this disobeys an order and the other people succeed because he ran off to fight someone in an alley. Yeah. Right. I, I think maybe my headcanon would be they're like, this guy doesn't like authority. So if he's like the bottom rung, he's just going to flip a shit and be useless. Mm-hmm. So maybe if he's in charge of one other person or like, no. you know, of a small squad, he'll like keep his shit together more. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe it's worthwhile to prepare students to deal with terrible leadership. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it isn't about him at all. <laughs> yeah. So other little bits of characterization here, Zell pacing back and forth, uh, Cypher tapping his blade against his shoulder like he's like, you know, um, shitty teen Sonic the Hedgehog and Squall standing stock still. And when he is asked questions, his ellipses get longer and longer as though he's being like more and more pointed about ignoring the person asking. Another thing is I feel like this beat of a bunch of people waiting like about war being boring and war being a lot of waiting around for violence to happen that's another thing that it's cribbing from saving private ryan and cribbing from war movies that are like in the consciousness at the time no i keep wanting to compare some of the structure of this with the military academy and battle downtime to Trails of Cold Steel, though, where they let this breathe, where you visit military installations repeatedly as part of training mm-hmm. that aren't in combat. And then when something does pop off, characters you've grown to know are casualties. And suddenly it's got much more of an impact as you have a war starting. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, that that is the strength of the Trails games is they spend so much time and they are so patient with their world and character building that, like because you've had so many slices of life that shit matters way more than a game that wouldn't take all of the time to do that 
Yeah. But anyway, eventually uh, you talk to Cypher. He lashes out at the dog. The dog then runs off, howls twice, and then a handful of G-soldiers sneak their way around the plaza towards a satellite tower off in the distance. Uh, Cypher says that they are going to go after them, and Zell protests because it's against orders. Like, they were told, like, just stay here. But Squall's like, oh, I, I stand by the captain's orders. And Cypher is like, hell yeah, my guy. And <laughs> Squall's like, he, he's like, oh, you, you, so you're itching to go too, like I am. And Squall's just like, oh, this is just a chance to test, test my skills. And he says very pointedly, thanks to you, I feel like I could take on anyone, even if they fight dirty like you. <laughs> and I love that there's this sense of mutual respect, even though they hate each other. And I wish there was more of that as the game went on, because they, they front loaded a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's any JRPG development. You will get all of the meat early on. And then as you start coming mm -hmm. up on deadlines, uh, corners yeah. will be cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on their way up, an injured Dalit soldier will tell them that the G units have headed for the communications <laughs> tower, which for some reason is a monster breeding ground. That seems like the least place you would want to do that. <laughs> uh, on cue, you get pulled into a scripted fight with an anacondor, a snake that will bop or squeeze you. In the battle, Cypher tells you whoever lands the killing blow on the enemy gets bonus XP, so give it to him. Uh, no, no upside or downside to doing so. Near the tower, your squad will spy some of the G soldiers going in and out of the tower talking about repairs. As a result of this, Cypher asks Squall whether he has a dream he is pursuing, which Squall <laughs> says he will refrain from. And then you head towards the tower. Just real, actual human dialogue hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it's the most, like, his, like, I'm going to not comment on that topic is, like, one of the more <laughs> awkward bits of dialogue that I, I remember from this game. <laughs> so, we get a cutscene of a girl approaching them and then tumbling as she slips on the rocks and this is uh, the girl that we've seen a bunch of times, the new girl. It's Selfie from Squad A. Uh, she will recognize Squall if you have given her the tour beforehand. Her kind of like tumbling to the ground and be like, ha ha, gee shucks, is like a great bit of characterization uh, in terms of, you know, what these little mini introduction cutscenes do. Uh, she asks where the leader of the squad is. Squall points down the cliff face where Cypher's already run off. And so he pops out by the tower's entrance. And before entering, he turns around and shouts, one of these days, I will tell you about my romantic dream. And this line has been <laughs> memed about forever, uh -huh. but I love it. Because what it's doing is it's showing that Cypher, like, despite all of his bluster, is still a high schooler who has just really weirdo thoughts and wants to make a connection with people. In a different story, Cypher would be a Cecil-style Dark Knight to Paladin, but he's not. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he, mm -hmm. he falls in a bad crowd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just becomes a uh, Kane instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, so Selfie goes and jumps down the cliff as a shortcut and waves back to Squall and Zell trying to get them to jump. And you can take this shortcut. It'll lose you points on your score. Or you can walk around one screen, which doesn't really cost you much of anything. And Selfie is now replacing Cypher in your party. 
Her limit break is slots, which uses RNG to select spells randomly from a set list that is changed by crisis level. And it also gives you a number of casts. So you can like cast like three meteors if you're lucky. It's weird that this is basically Tella's skill from FF4. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. You can re-roll this as many times as you like before committing a move, uh, which if you have weight on just means you can just farm this until you have <laughs> until you have like the best one and just be like i'm gonna ultima everybody it's gonna coward be coward <laughs> uh so the spell list includes uh some exclusive spells that are only available in slots such as rapture and there's one that's ultra rare called the end that will murder pretty much everything that you use it against most bosses are immune but not all of them so you can exploit this if you want you head to the tower, save your game, uh, recommend that you draw some blind from the nearby draw point. It's a very handy status to have or defend against right now. And go up the elevator. Up top, we are introduced to the fiddy and woo kid of this game, Biggs and Wedge, a G <laughs> commander and G soldier comedic <laughs> relief duo. <laughs> Wedge says, you know, there's a, there's a lot of monster activity around here, up to and including a monster-shaped shadow. But Biggs really doesn't care because they have a job to do as well, and it is repairs. As the party arrives, the tower turns on with an unnecessarily elaborate cutscene. As Cypher arrives, so all of you just get into a big roaring brawl. The first part of this boss fight is a standard soldier battle, but with enemies who have more HP. Do enough damage to Biggs, and a tornado animation will sweep them away so they can be replaced with the flying chin monster, Elvaret. <laughs> it is a flying chin monster. <laughs> mm-hmm. First thing to do, and this is the first of many times this game will screw with you like this, immediately draw GF Siren from the creature. Elvaret also has a spell called Double, which will let you cast a spell twice in the same turn. Turns out that's useful. Mm-hmm. The key thing you need to prepare for and defend against is Storm Breath, which will all party attack 150 damage or so. Again, that's about a third of your health right now. Keep everyone healed up, and this will explode and disintegrate in Final Fantasy boss style, where you will (laughs) discover that this thing was made of a magazine. Weapons Monthly. (laughs) (laughs) So... Something that we kind of briefly touched on in episode one, in the intro episode, was how you once you junction a guardian force, a a GF, if you will, you are also junctioning your abilities that you use in battle besides attack. And you only have three slots, but you have four options. There's there's GF, there's draw, there's magic, and there's item. GF obviously are, you know, your huge summon attacks before they become obviated by just using limit breaks. And then, like, so where I'm getting is that I only had item equipped on one character, and that character was the first one to die. Uh, And so I have (laughs) no way of reviving anybody. And so then, because I play in active mode, because I'm not a fucking coward, I lost Squall <laughs> as I was casting Cure on Squall. Oh, no. So, then, Rip. all I had left was Selfie. Zell was dead, Squall was dead, Elvaret still had a couple thousand HP, or whatever, you know. <laughs> Squall El- El- was dead early this time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, instead, 
I kept Selfie around 200 HP just before she was yellow and spammed the attack refresh button until ah. I could get a limit break and just used Selfie's slot limit break to first cast a bunch of spells and then uh, use the full cure on myself to keep the battle going. So oh. I didn't wipe because of my idiocy, but Selfie did only barely make it out alive. But thankfully, because bosses give no h or give no xp and guardian forces still get ap even if their host is dead uh it didn't actually penalize me at all so i just like mm -hmm. this is a very early battle mm -hmm. but i i escaped by the skin of my teeth because i did not plan properly <laughs> that rules I just want to say that I was alarmed and worried that you were about to say, when you junction a GF, you junction everyone they've junctioned before you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you wouldn't download a GF. Sybil, I'm a slut. I don't care about how many GFs people have junctioned before me. <laughs> Fucking, it's, I, listen, I'm Carbuncle. I just, I, I cast Reflect. I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> Carbuncle, Carbuncle is the condom of the of the GF world. <laughs> no, when wow. you see the reflect wow. animation, Ow. it does look like uh, that. Yeah, uh -huh. oh, sentences, sentences. <laughs> <sighs> so uh, now that the boss is done, and Cipher is here. Uh, by the way, we almost. We came so close to thwarting the actual plans, and then we didn't, and which is for. And, whatever uh so cypher's here and so selfie is like oh finally you're here so i can relay your message they have orders <laughs> <laughs> she's been chasing us for like a half hour at this point and finally she's like oh by the way you have orders to withdraw to the beach by 1900 hours which is uh in half an hour cypher then goes well bye then see ya suckers <laughs> and runs off biggs is slumped over on screen and you can talk to him but you lose uh you lose exam points for doing so which is very funny mm -hmm. after you head back down the tower biggs will hit a button on a controller before passing out for some reason this scene did not trigger for me and i don't know if it only triggers if you talk to him first mm -hmm. did you guys see the scene and talk to him or i or did not talk to no him? i didn't talk no. to him Okay, because whatever reason, it bugged out on me then, because I did not see uh, Biggs press the button to say, make the robot go. Mm. Oh, word cutscenes run on RNG in this engine? What a shock. <laughs> <laughs> so it's highly suggested that you use a save point and save and also junction siren to somebody. So someone will have uh, two guardian forces at this point. The siren summon deals damage and also casts silence on all enemies. She also has the status attack and status defense junctions which uh go up to double and those are super useful because you can junction things like silence and blind onto your regular attack which often has a much higher percentage of procking the status that you want than casting the spell does if so long as you have like at least x amount of spells junctioned you know she also has some skills like tool refine which refines tools from items and then status medicine refine and i don't know what l but l magic refine as well that's life magic life so magic. like your cures your cures your life's your um pretty much anything like that yeah so it's very useful to like you know if you're running low on curative magic you can refine some items and do that okay 
She also has one called Move Find, which lets you see invisible draw points in towns and dungeons. It is such a dick move for them <laughs> to make this incredibly useful guardian force draw only off of a boss yeah. that you encounter so early. I forget. Uh-huh. Is there a way to get her later? There are ways to get any missed guardian forces on disc four. <laughs> so <laughs> at the end of the game there, I forget exactly where you go to find them, but there is a place where you can grab anyone you missed. The mm. thing is, there are you will get status attack from other GFs. I think Carbuncle has a status attack, I want to say. So you're not like completely blocked out of that, but you're absolutely right. This is a very crucial skill. This one should have been handed to you. Yeah. And on yeah. top of the elemental one. Move find is so huge. You get so many important yeah. draw points from move find. Yeah. It's wild. Well, you can yeah. still find them. You'll find them by accident, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they are still there, they're just invisible. Right. Yeah. That's so like dumb. I accidentally picked up Thundaga in D District Prison last night and I totally <laughs> forgot it was there. I was just like, this room is blank. Let me just mash X a little bit. And I found it. <laughs> <laughs> So as the team leaves the tower, an enormous spider robot falls down and attacks us. And the timer has started. And so it starts to feel uh, harried at this point. Mm-hmm. So this uh, weapon is called XATM092, also known as the Black Widow. I don't know who named it because they never actually called this anything. It's but a reference is- to a Tomos. So. Ah, OK, OK. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I can Mm -hmm. see that now. So this is a gimmick fight. Uh, Once you have dealt more than 20% damage to it, it will collapse and you will be prompted to flee and you can do so pretty easily. If you do not do it before it gets back up, it heals to full and you have to knock it down again. In this first encounter, it'll repair itself infinitely. So you just need to get the hell out of dodge. And uh, like most machine type enemies, it's weak to thunder. So you can use spells or junction thunder spells to elemental attack to do extra damage. You can use Quetzalcoatl, but that takes a long time. The attack that you need to watch out for is called Ray Bomb, which hits for significant damage to the whole party, similar to Storm Breath. And it's also a blue magic that Quistus can learn later. Also, just quickly double checking. Yes, this is a very blatant FF5 reference because guess what game came out in 92? There we go. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, there we go. Atomos yep. 92. That's mm-hmm. 92. That's actually incredibly clever. I had to double check. Yeah, That's, that's what the good. clock said when I crashed my Scion TC at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> ah. So after the battle, the party will see that the boss is getting back up and chasing them. You can book it back to the beach with a second fight, but there's a couple cheap tricks to it. You're probably going to have to do at least one fight and run cycle. Bonus points can be given to shooing away the dog in the courtyard to save it from the chaos, 
And if you hide in a pub to let it pass you, you will get hit with a massive point deduction because you have <laughs> wasted time and let a bunch of civilians get dragged into this crap. Mm-hmm. After the first fight, you can destroy it, but it is very hard. You have to deplete its health six times in the same battle, although I just did this by accident because I'm me. <laughs> uh, if you do, you get a 100-point bonus added to your score, 50 AP, and one of a handful of GF items, which I didn't check because I wasn't menuing during the timer segment. Mm-hmm. Once the boss is dead, random encounters will occur instead of this, so it's actually kind of a net loss unless you do this right next to the beach. Mm. Yeah, the GF items, like they give you things that you're going to get pretty quickly. So it's not like a huge advantage to go for it, but you know, the bonus is nice, but the real key thing is 50 AP is a lot right now, mm-hmm. but, but if you, uh, if you fight it multiple times and run away, which I didn't, you can milk this because every time you do this cycle after the first, you get 50 AP. Yeah. Whoops. More <laughs> power gaming me. So like, I try to play these games uh, for the show where I'm not doing all the side content because I kind of want the game to continue to be challenging. So I have to continue to engage with the mechanics like as they lie. And so I'm trying to play this game cleverly where I know the tricks. I know how to like manipulate limit breaks. I know that junctioning is way more important than guardian forces, like guardian force attacks, all of that. But I'm not trying to jump the curve ever. And this game gives you so many opportunities right at the beginning to jump Mm -hmm. the curve and it would make the rest of the game not fun. And so it's this tough balance where I'm trying not to over level, not to overskill myself, but still play the game where i'm using what the, i'm using the tools the game gives me to to my advantage so like this many ap right at the beginning it would instantly obviate a lot of the game because you would learn yeah. so many skills yeah. and i did <laughs> i like the, the that running from it gets you the most reward at least you know the mm-hmm. most you know consequential reward because that also feels the most cinematic to me like mm, yeah. these are kids if they're taking it like this is this is them taking their like bio ex- their their biology exam you know mm-hmm. they're trying to take their ap uh ap history here and literally uh, getting ap points yeah <laughs> um <laughs> i didn't do that intentionally but uh, uh like running from them with the clock counting down like it does is actually pretty stressful and cinematic to my mind so that mm-hmm. feels like the right mm-hmm. way to play it <laughs> yeah yeah especially because like there's two screens here where you're definitely going to get caught if you don't know what to do, especially like there's one where you have to walk on a screen. Otherwise it'll like shake the ground and you lose your footing and then you get into a fight, but you'll never know that nothing signals you that it's going to happen. So you're probably going to get caught at the top of the cliff because you need to be moving immediately to not get hit there. You're going to get hit there. And maybe, maybe you figure out the bridge skip where it jumps over. Like, I would agree that I think the game wants you to get caught once or two, twice, and then you get at least 100 AP, mm-hmm, and yeah. that's great. This is incredible. Just the fact that Akitoshi Kawazu has nothing to do with this game when the so many Kawazu-ass decisions are all over this game. It's like, he, he's still alive, but the ghost of Kawazu haunts Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't have the charm of a Kawazu to me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's it's not as upfront as like, hey, these are our fucking mechanics. Deal with that shit. Haha. <laughs> as Kawazu. 
Yeah, it's it's all couched in obfuscation in this, or telling you ten hours later, hey, here's how you've been screwing this up. Mm-hmm. Kawazu just wouldn't tell you. Right, right. <laughs> so, if you have not defeated Atomos or hid from it, Squall arrives at the beach and is about to be overtaken when Quistus fucking comes through in the clutch and gets on the mounted chain gun and just wrecks the mech with the ship's uh, machine gun. Otherwise, there's no cutscene, which is a tragedy because this cutscene made me mm-hmm. go, shit, yeah, Quistus. <laughs> it rules. It's so good. A uh, little fun little fact is in the demo, Renoa was on the mission instead of Selfie. And if you look carefully in the cutscene, you can actually catch Renoa's uh, shadow, her silhouette on the beach in, and briefly see her in the ship. Uh, you definitely wouldn't notice if you weren't looking for it. Uh, they just didn't yeah. want to redo every single bit of this EG yeah. cutscene. They did change Squall's outfit because I mm. think he wasn't in the same like exam outfit in the original cutscene. Like it is a little different if you do like shot to shot, but okay. yeah, it's very funny, but it's also extremely hard to find. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I tried looking for it and I found it, but it's like really grainy because like just the the quality and how fast everything's moving and all the blur. Yeah. So. Once we are back in Balam, uh, uh, the the mission is over, and so Quistus, before we're even back in the garden, tells Squall that we're all free to goof off until the evening. This is where I explore the the town of Balam also, uh, and people have more to say now uh, and more to do here, and you can also grind for stuff or you can just play cards. Um, So in the town, uh, Zell's mom, because Zell Zell is a... Balam born and raised person. A lot of folks in this game don't have parents. Zell's at least got a mom. She will play Triple Triad with you if you meet her in Balam. Also, she's like, oh, I'm so nice to meet Zell's friends. And then you try to go upstairs and Zell's like, hey, man, that's my room. That's lo- that's mm-hmm. off limits, dog. Yeah. Which is which is cute. She's really annoying to play cards with because yeah. she will... You might play her three times and she never puts Zell in her hand. So unless you know that she has Zell's card, you might not ever know. And Zell's card is extremely powerful at this point in the game, but you have to play her over and over and over again to potentially get it. I don't think it's worth it. Uh, But she also (laughs) does carry some other cards for modding purposes that are pretty valuable. So, you know, if you're into Triple Triad, go ahead and do it. It's also a hotel. The hotel is very nice, beachside hotel, but the town is so small. Why is the hotel so big? Who knows? Maybe they're <laughs> supposed to be a tourist town. But the main thing <laughs> is you can also go into some random ass house. And these these houses are interesting because they're all like built kind of below street level. You have to go down yeah. to get into the house. I wonder if it's like they want it's like a hot area. And so they want the basement to be the main floor. Mm. Anyway. There are two kids who, just for fun, are just staring at an atlas of the world. So you can get some actual geopolitical world building here, too, where you Mm. find out that the history books have clearly been manipulated and are incomplete. And so people don't really know what the state of the world is, especially if you're a child. And when you're looking at this atlas, they mention that like there are basically three nations. There is the powerful imperial nation, Galbadia, the mysterious country, Estar, and then the (laughs) destroyed country, Sentra. Those will all be important. I didn't notice them at first. So when, you know, when Sentra and Estar started becoming big, I was like, where the fuck did this come from? You also find out, you know, that 
that Galbadia is that the occupation of Dalit is a very recent thing. And one of the kids says, I wish that I could separate the truth and myth behind all this, uh, which means mm -hmm. that like the world is in a really weird place with what people know about current events in history. Hmm. Yeah. And like we'll find out later that communication is also very challenging in this world. Yeah. So that that adds to that, too. Uh, so when you get back to the garden, Sid, Sue and uh, Quistus are waiting by the directory. The seeds both talk up Squall, like, Sue's like, you did a great job out there. Equestus is like, he's my best student. So when you talk to Sid, he asks Squall, how did it feel to fight? And you can have him say it felt good or I was scared. Either one is just flavor, but it's interesting that it gave you the choice. Um, I apologize if this is later in the notes, but. I found it extremely galling that Zoo, uh, you know, an existing seed mm -hmm. at this point says we could have made more money for the garden if the battle had lasted longer and we'd had more casualties. <laughs> yeah, no, they, I think mm -hmm. she says that, but also we'll get into what the, the garden staff says, because if yeah. you talk to them a lot, yeah, a lot of that comes out. But yeah, they're like, oh, I wish we caused more ruckus is the way they mm -hmm. described it <laughs> or she described it. You will be funneled to the right towards where the library and training center are. And Cypher is there and he is pissed because he's already been told, yeah, you failed the exam, buddy. Uh, you didn't listen to orders. You fucked up. And Sue comes in and just straight up tells him, like, you'll never be a seed, which I feel is also extremely rude thing to do for someone at that level <laughs> yeah. of status. I mean, like, hey, you fuck up. You're going to be a fuck up for the rest of your life. That's how you make ciphers. That's yeah, yep, step that by step you what ciphers. you do to make him what he is. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, like there's a little animation here where Cypher looks like he's weeping to himself, uh, which I think is very effective in this moment. It's the first time you've seen any vulnerability in him. Mm -hmm. Then Sid arrives and tries to console him, saying that, like, hey, yeah, it was I know it's a tough decision, but you know, it was the right thing to do. But I don't want seeds to just follow orders blindly and be like robots. But as he is like in the middle of this speech, a garden faculty member comes in and interrupts him and says like you've got important business to do you gotta gotta walk away and said just like he's so he's such a pushover when it comes to dealing with the faculty you feel this immediately and it just continues on as you see them interact with each other but yeah Sid just kind of like kind of goes ah oh, okay and then just leaves like totally not finishing his job of like consoling cypher at all so the faculty member says that each member of Seed's conduct reflects on the whole institution, so they need to act accordingly. If you talk to him again, he says that Seed follows their contract to the letter. So next time he hopes that the Dalit dukedom doesn't cheap out on their offer because Garden is a non is not a nonprofit organization. It is just straight up brutally like capitalistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Which is it's frustrating in this moment because while Cypher disobeyed orders he was right we almost yeah. thwarted galbadia from doing the thing that they wanted to do which was activate the communication tower we were just barely too late and so mm -hmm. when it's like oh right okay you don't actually care about solving the conflict or or actually like helping our clients just making money and following the contract of the letter and because dalit didn't pay enough uh we're not actually going to help them solve anything which is frustrating it's also yep. frustrating i think sid as a character is totally fascinating in this game i don't think he's given enough screen time but 
he clearly wants to be more of a confidant and father figure to these students, but he keeps getting caught up. He keeps getting stopped by the bureaucracy of the garden and it's like this quasi adversarial relationship but actually what it's doing is providing cover to the garden because he can kind of be the like oh i wish i could tell you more i wish i could do more for you but there see my hands are tied and mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. he's aware of that he's aware that he's kind of being used as a shield and so his feelings are genuine but also he knows that by doing this he's manipulating the students too yeah because yeah there's there's a lot more to that, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's it's really interesting to think like, imagine if like at your school, your principal was basically completely controlled by, I guess they, they are by the school board to some degree, but like he seems especially powerless for someone who should have a lot of power. Right. It, he's he's kind of being like dragged by the collar of his shirt. He's a real puppet mm. for these just literally faceless faculty that are mm, running yeah. around in eyes wide shut um, outfits. You know, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why he, they always remind me of Raiden from Mortal Kombat. I don't know why. I guess it's the hat thing. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't look like it at all. <laughs> so, this is spoilers for a few episodes in when we find out what's at the heart of garden but just like imagining a high society orgy in the basement oh. of garden where there's oh. this weird alien creature just like doing <laughs> things love that shit selfieo yeah. oh. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, uh you know th th that tension like the garden doesn't need to put out you know doesn't need to create full people it needs to create bodies to put into this machine yeah. right yeah and yeah. sid kind of being part you know the, the 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 good cop part of that like what we're describing is something that has like a lot of like, like nuance to it you know sophistication in terms of you know especially grading on the curve here how much of that is intentional on the part of the creators and how much of that is what we're bringing to it Mm. I think a little of it is intentional, especially based on, uh, I don't, I'm not going to discuss a detail, but Sid's wife. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no. My yeah. man is a type of person. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, that, that's what makes Final Fantasy VIII such a rich text to discuss because it is what we bring into it, but there's enough text there that there's something to hang it on. And so while we might be going overboard ascribing a lot of this nuance <laughs> like there there is enough there where it's like oh i see that they were trying for something at the very least and mm -hmm. so it's 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 yeah. fun to dive in and be like all right in full faith what is this doing and it's enough for me like the, it, the, mm -hmm. in the gestures and the animations in the timings like even if it's not fully in the script there's enough in there for me to be like yeah it's real yeah that's about where i fall i just wanted to get a gut check on that because that's why i like this game too you know i think the story yeah. and everything functions really well word up ryan you unlocked something in my head or, or i might have been Sybil who mentioned the the orgy thing because in that boss fight leviathan is that's where you pick up leviathan so you have mm -hmm. unlimited water-based lube just <laughs> right there oh, god why'd you have to do that <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm cursed with the knowledge of knowing too much about this game. <laughs> uh, 45 that... gallon drum of Leviathan. <laughs> Isn't, don't you find a boss called Oily Oil down there? <laughs> when you're just hammering <sighs> boost and it's never mind. Uh... <laughs> now I know this will be cut. Uh -huh. <laughs> I thought, so, that, I, th I thought that getting, I thought that 
separating Chris and Sybil meant that we wouldn't have as many pure sicko diversions. Uh, <laughs> well, nope. It's all me, well. baby. Someone has experience. <laughs> so the PA makes an announcement that all exam takers are to head up to the second floor hallway. And at this point, you have to wait 45 seconds. I kind of suspect the reason for this is that something scripted is happening off screen that it can't move past because that's mm. how this engine works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to talk to everybody, you can. Raijin and Fujin are here too, and they are pissed that Cypher is not coming with them. But a faculty member arrives and says, Zell, Selfie, and Squall are to come up yet another floor to Sid's office on the third floor. So I don't know why we had this middle <laughs> bit. Upstairs, Sid tells the three of them and one other guy without a name that they passed and are now full members of Seed. Sid starts to give a speech, but yet again is interrupted by one of the faculty members who cuts in to say, good job, make us some money. (laughs) Sid will then walk up to each of you, hand you your score, and whisper a message of encouragement to each one. The unnamed dude will be told, keep working hard, even if no one notices. And I do have to like that. Yeah. And and this comes back later, too, which is also great. Uh, So if you talk to the the faculty member here, he says explicitly here, ignore any like commentary against GFs, by the way, you'll hear some. Just ignore it here. But that's also something you can miss. Mm -hmm. Um, Something else that you can miss is the battle meter. So if you talk to Sid here, he will give you an item called the battle meter, which lets you look at your stats in the menu so like how many people you killed and whatnot and uh like that's tied to things like your seed rank like if you want to check like oh how many kills do i have that went to my seed rank like it's counted there and you can just completely miss this if you don't talk mm. to him it's not important at all it's just interesting mm-hmm. afterwards the party will drop back to the second floor where cypher has finally arrived and everyone's kind of like oh cool we're about to see a fist fight in the hallway six get a camera <laughs> But Cypher just starts clapping instead, and everyone joins in the celebration, and the graduates are like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, thanks, hi. Uh." (laughs) I I love this bit here, because, again, it just adds more dimension to Cypher and his relationship with Squall, because it's not just, I hate you and I want you to fail, it's like, you know, I hate you and I but I want you to succeed too. Or like, you you know, you keep my edge sharp kind of a thing. It's more nuanced than you often see with villains. You're supposed to be tied to me. You're not supposed to surpass me this hard. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, this is a reference only for me, but it's exactly like Maya and Claudine in uh, Review Starlight. So (laughs) that is a reference only for you. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. I half get it. It is also interesting because it's like, this is often the anime rival arc where they are enemies and then they very slowly develop a bond where they become friends or tied to one another if one of them doesn't go full villain and die and they're speeding this relationship up for reasons but it is it's it it's interesting to see it because it yeah it really gives some humanity to cypher who uh has been a big part of the story so far but hasn't they're still doing a lot with a little, I think. The other thing that I wanted to say is just like bringing in like the numbers game of so it's like at least 12 seed students were on this mission and yeah. only four of them graduated. 
the numbers involved seem like it's really hard to graduate and become a seed. Yeah, they're, they're referred to as elite, and I guess that's probably why. And yeah, I would imagine that like none of the other students did anything nearly as intense as like fight off a monster and a giant tank and all this other <laughs> stuff and still followed orders. Mm -hmm. Also, who wants an incredibly dumb sidebar? Yeah, <laughs> go for it. Here are the Shonen series of major import that were currently running in Shonen Jump at the time that this might be drawing from. <laughs> One Piece had just begun. Hunter oh by God. Hunter was in its first year. Shaman King just kicked off. Tide Kubo's first work, Zombie Powder, hit the magazine. Naruto would be a few months after FF8. And Hikaru no Go and Shaman King had just kicked off earlier in the year. Yeah, that see, this, this all makes sense because this is... It feels like Final Fantasy VIII is, a, is an attempt to make Final Fantasy more contemporary with what Japanese audiences were starting to digest at the time. And that's partially why it feels like such a huge departure, is that it's like, it, you know, it, it, Final Fantasy VII was reacting to Eva in a lot of ways, although, you know, Sakaguchi had his own stuff that he was putting in there. And then this is, like, like you're saying, yeah, it is, it is reacting to a lot of contemporary manga and, and uh, shonen anime. Hunter by Hunter feels like a very on-the-nose one for this, since they would be in the exam arc by now. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, this is where you get your scores and your seed rank. So that evening, uh, Selfie is waiting for Squall in her new seed uniform and tells Squall to put his on as well to come join the graduation ball. At the party itself, uh, so, you know, you have to, like, go to your room and put on your uniform. It's very cute. Uh, at the party, Squall is being a wallflower, watch watching couples dance to a waltz. Zell comes up to him and tries to shake his hand again, but Squall leaves him hanging. Uh, and Zell's like, I guess you haven't changed. They do a really good job here. It, it, the, the kind of public opinion of Squall is that he's just like aloof to a comic degree. But, you know, having grown up in Seattle, I know what Seattle nice is. And sometimes Seattle nice is like <laughs> being an aloof <laughs> asshole. And sometimes Seattle nice is people are too awkward to be able to make connections to one another up here. And he is an awkward teen who wants connections, but he just doesn't know how. And so it comes off as being uh, a surly, whatever asshole teen instead. I mean, he's also afraid. I mean, like he has serious abandonment issues. Right. So like he's afraid to connect to people because he's going to get hurt. He expects to get hurt. Right. Yeah. So he, yeah. he becomes a loner by design because he doesn't want to be a loner left holding the bag alone. Yeah. All of the all of this makes sense, except with Zell. Zell is the kind of person who you do not give any encouragement to because he's going to take that and just really roll with it. You have to you have to starve a Zell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like Zell is the kind of person that like you give a little bit and they take a mile. Right. Like yeah. they're just like all of a sudden they're your best friend. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow the fuck mm -hmm. down. Zell yeah. is the dude where if he becomes a part of your social circle, one of you is getting arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the rule follower. Settle but down. Not Beavis. out of malice. It's just that he's going to do something so stupid. No one can look away. Yeah. He can't, he, he can't stop moving. Beavis needs to settle down. <laughs> <laughs> if you give Zell sugar, fires are going to start. <laughs> oh gosh. I that yeah. Um 
this is only barely in my lane, but um, a lot of neurodivergent people have latched onto Squall as like an autistic king. It's like finally we have, you know, mm. it like like an autistic person to to look up to in media. It's not just Camille Badon from Zeta Gundam anymore. Zell also neurodivergent. It, it, I recognize his ADHD from me all over the place. You know, this is yeah. this is we've we've got a hyperactive team going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Selfie comes up and asks Squall if he wants to join the Garden Spring Festival Committee. Uh, you can say yes or no. Uh, it does change some dialogue later. Uh, if you go and explore, like, the grounds, Selfie is also, at, like, in where the Garden Festival is going to be before this point, And she pesters everyone, and everyone's like, oh, my God, this new girl won't stop talking about the Garden Festival. Um, <laughs> like, she, she just, her, like, harangues Zell right before she talks to Squall. Yeah. Like off screen. It's very yeah. funny. <laughs> then an FME starts and a girl with straight black hair, but with a little bit of brown highlights, just to add a little bit of color. She's standing there in a white dress in the middle of the dance floor and she catches Squall's eye and she turns to him, does a little bring her finger to her lips move, adds a little wink and then walks over to him. And she tells him he's the best looking guy here. Yes, it's from the <laughs> meme. <laughs> and asks him to dance and he hesitates and she keeps teasing him saying like oh i bet you only dance with people you like so i'm gonna make you like me and does a little like i'm you're gonna like me you're gonna like me but he just says like oh i I can't dance which he contradicts later by saying that like oh yeah it's on our training for subterfuge that we need to be able to blend into places so i think he's just lying here uh she drags him out to the dance floor and they have a rocky start bumping into people they end up nailing one sequence right as fireworks launch. And then the girl spots someone over Squall's shoulder and excuses herself. And Squall looks very sad. So this official introduction to Renoa. Huh. Okay. So first of all, um, this dance cut scene is so iconic that then for the next two console generations square would do a tech demo of trying to recreate this Mm, dance scene in real time in the next technology so there's a ps2 version and a ps3 version of this dance scene rendered in real time it never looks that good uh comparatively (laughs) but it is funny Mm. that they were that like this dance scene was so celebrated that they that they were like this dancing is going to be what we hang our tech demos on from now on the second thing that i want to say is it's very easy to eye roll this scene because it is playing off such a specific fantasy of the quirky, fun-loving, manic pixie dream girl immediately coaxing the aloof loner wallflower out of his shell, finding his clumsiness charming, and then eventually, like, bringing him out for a great dance routine. And that is, like, this is straight out of fucking garden state or 500 days of summer or you know and especially like appealing to gamer boys who are already wallflowers who might be aloof loners as they were teenagers like it is just dialed immediately in to play off a fantasy and also to play off Aerith's kind of initial fun loving introduction that being said i think it is well choreographed and well directed and Renoa is a more complicated character at the end of the day than uh, Natalie Portman from Garden State or any of the mm-hmm. kind of like <laughs> non-deconstructed Manic Pixie Dream Girl characters that exist. Like obviously 500 Days of Summer is a deconstruction. Uh, May is a deconstruction, yada, yada, yada. But like 
Renault is not a deconstruction, not even in the slightest, but she is a full-fledged character, even though this scene is extremely eye-rolly to me, uh, without the further context. Well, yeah, because she has her own wants and needs outside of the main male lead. So, I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. The motion capture on this is amazing. You know, the way mm. in which Squall is bad at dancing in the beginning of this um, is it feels really studied to me kind of like in the, you know, the, mm, the thing they yeah. say like, Oh, you have to be, you have to be really smart to play a dumb character in a, in mm. a way that is convincing and entertaining. You can't, you can't just be a dumb person saying dumb things to this. that calls to mind what they say about certain cutscenes of metal gear solid four, not, not four, <laughs> three rather where they swapped the action and the um, kind of like the, the, the dialogue uh, mocap artist for big boss. So that the, when he was doing action stuff, it would be awkward because he's on practice. He's still green. And when he was talking with uh, Eva, I think that we were talking with the female lead. Uh, it yeah. would like, you're just like, like going in for this kiss, that little pause needed to be, you know, real needed to actually like mm. come from a certain kind of gawkiness. This feels like a very well put together depiction of like a teen who just does not know what to do with their feet in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's where the mocapping, yeah, really stands out for sure. Like they yeah. they put in the effort there. And compared to other CG cutscenes of the era, I mean, the only other ones that are animated anywhere like near this skillfully are like blizzards, essentially. And that's those are the two. It, like mm-hmm. these cutscenes at the beginning, you can see why Sakaguchi went, oh, maybe I should make animated movies. Like we're really good at this. <laughs> and then the spirits within is like, you shouldn't do that. No, you shouldn't have done yeah. that. <laughs> There's one thing I'll say about any of this era, which, and it continues through to this day. The one department you can never say is asleep at the wheel at Square are their cutscene animation teams. There's a reason they do full-on tech demos that come to nothing else just to show off, look what we can do with this hardware. Because no one else can turn things in on time, under budget, and as impressively as the cutscene design teams at Square. Yeah. Yeah. It's the most well well oiled machine there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the one thing I want to add to this is the song because the cool thing I think about this is that the song is diegetic because it is a like waltz remix of a song we will run into later that is plot important that is also very popular. I think that's very interesting. It's very funny to call an orchestral waltz a remix. It is correct in this case, but it is very funny to think of like a chamber cover, whatever. (laughs) You don't have DJ Khaled like shouting over the top. We the best music. That's string quartet. (laughs) String quartet went and leaned a little heavy on the side chain, you know. uh, uh, Three four side chain. That's that's a fucking bad name right there. Speaking of inappropriate things at this dance, Squall is just moping out on the balcony when Quistus shows up in her standard attire, and she is getting on him. Oh, you're going to dance with some other girl, but you can't stand being around me. And Squall continues being, I guess, professional is the word we would use for this by saying, we are instructor and student, nothing more. And Krista (laughs) says, well, in that case, I'm giving you one order as your instructor, one final order. Let's go to make out point together. (laughs) What the fuck? What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And so... Squall is just like, 
I walked right into that bear trap. Sure. Okay. Let me put on some clothes that aren't going to get ruined by the makeout point bushes. And you head to the training center where Quistus is waiting and will now instruct you on how to use Siren, who you may or may not have and how status junctioning works. Great. Again, really should tell you these things when you first get them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But remember, when you first get it, you have a timer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just uh, go into the timer thing. segment before you turn on the timer. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I just I was just thinking of like, wait, when would that have happened? Like it would have happened immediately after getting Siren and naming her, I guess. It's they're trying to keep it diegetic that like, hey Squall, remember how to do these things. But yeah, it does feel really like, why are we doing this now? Yeah. So we go through the training center and we fight some random battles because, you know, it's very funny that basically just like they have like a zoo. It's like the Dino Crisis uh-huh. 2 zoo that's just like <laughs> in the school. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you can die potentially, although the infirmers are right there, but it's very funny. And so, you know, you do some fights. There's like two different paths, but they both arrive at the same place. The training center is just a giant loop and they arrive at the secret area, which where there are already a few other couples canoodling and Quistus uh, proving herself to be the world's worst TA who's getting fired for a reason. Uh, begins <laughs> just completely emotionally dumping on Squall, telling him that she's been stripped of her teacher's license because she lacked leadership skills and... Since she didn't, she didn't ask for consent before trauma dumping. Uh, and so Squall just completely shuts her down, saying that he doesn't want to carry her burden. He believes that everyone needs to be able to deal with their own shit and not rely on other people. He comes off as a dick, but like Quistus was so out of line here. Squall's right yeah. in this case. And Quistus realizes it because after he storms off, Quistus is like, yeah, I think he's probably right. Mm-hmm. On the way back, or ac- I think maybe she even says, maybe they were right. I am a bad instructor. So, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Uh, just fucking, yeah. She's a terrible, terrible instructor using <laughs> using her student as uh, emotional support without his consent, which is great. And also hitting on him aggressively yeah. all the time, inappropriately, mm-hmm. because she's full of hormones uh, and bad decisions. <laughs> and her prefrontal cortex, not all the way formed yet. Yep. <laughs> Have I ever told the story of the absolutely cursed teacher I had in college? No, no. not to me anyway. Just, I suppose this is probably the perfect time for this because it's very similar. Um, I had an instructor who I was a TA for, and one day she did just have a breakdown, crying breakdown and lock herself in her office in the middle of a class. So I had to teach for her for two periods And um, this is before we got to the point where she would stalk me onto Proto Facebook. And this is actually why I haven't had one of those in years. And she did write myself under my dead name into a book she published where I was dating a character named after my mother. What? Holy (laughs) shit. There's so many layers. She no longer teaches. Uh Shit. That's She no longer teaches. Good. Good. Wow. She does still write books. Um, I may have mentioned her obliquely on a prior season of something because she's the one who wrote the what if the gays were the ones in charge persecution novel. Oh, no. <laughs> at one point. That's the same woman. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yep. Wow. That's the same woman. She she wrote me uh, dating my mother into a 
book she wrote that got awards. It actually won awards for young literature. Oh, that's wow. Incredible. Hate yeah, that. she was a terrible teacher and a terrible writer. Yeah. <laughs> She's a terrible person but, too, it sounds like. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh there's no way to transition back. Uh, so no. all the way back. <clears throat> a monster screams. Extremely good seg, Ryan. Uh, on the way back, a monster screams and a voice shouts for help. Uh, the woman from the infirmary is being threatened by a monster uh, in her green in her green shawl and all. She calls out to Squall and Quisty. Don't love that nickname. Before we start a boss battle. Uh, so this is Grinaldo and the Raldos, which also sounds like a band name, honestly. Uh, by put a giant mustache and glasses on Grinaldo and name him Grinaldo Rivera, please. I need See? that in my life, please. God, there's too many. I already made the episode art for this episode. It's so bad. Uh, I, uh, Cole, I'll show it to you later. It's very funny. So, okay. There are four enemies here. Uh, there's three stony armadillo-looking dudes who are the Raldos and a dragonfly-esque boss, which is Grinaldo, who will pick up the little guys and drop them on your party and do damage that way. And, you know, they're, they have other attacks. But did you remember that tutorial about status junctions that just happened? Hopefully you junction sleep to your status attack, which you could have drawn from the gnats in the training center because Grinaldo is extremely weak to it. If you didn't, uh, you can draw cast sleep from Grinaldo because it also has that for some reason. But for whatever reason, like it doesn't proc nearly as easily as if you status uh, if you junctioned it. But with the main boss asleep, the fight is a lot less threatening. This is also the first time you'll run into the spells shell and protect, which are the magic and physical defense buffs. Grinaldo has shell. The, the Raldos have protect. You can draw them if you want. It's not a big deal. But yeah, you get through this fight. It's probably the simplest fight after Ifrit. Yeah, the training center is never going to have challenging bosses. Mm -hmm. Except for the T-Rexes. <laughs> yeah. Those aren't bosses. Those are random guys. Those, those... <laughs> if Lara Croft can fight one as a regular thing, so can Squall. Guns. Uh, they're the uh, FOEs of the training center. Yeah, for real. All right, I'll allow it. <laughs> After the fight, three guys in white show up and take the women away, saying that you're safe now, Miss Kennedy. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> Quistus wonders who she was. When you leave the training center, uh, there's another bit of drama here. Quistus telling Squall, you don't have to be such a dumb loner, you know. God, how did I lose my job? <laughs> he brushes it off and goes back to the dorms, where Zell says, hey, man, I got a new dorm room. And also someone moved all my stuff. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so Squall just heads off and goes to bed.
And that's the end of the plot section of the game. So now it's time for a little bit of party chat, AKA the Junction Junction. Uh, so if anybody has any interesting thoughts to say about how they're setting up their characters and whatnot, um, Cole, if you want to start off. I mean, I don't have much to say just because I don't intend to continue this playthrough. <laughs> so there, th th there we go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I guess all that I, all that I would ask just to throw it to everybody else. Canonically, do you, do, do you junction Shiva to, uh, to squall at the beginning or do you junction Quetzalcoatl? Shiva. Shiva, because yeah. uh, I want Quetzalcoatl. Yeah. I like electric. Yeah, no. I do Quetzalcoatl as well. Yeah, I go Shiva. I, yeah, because like Shiva has the strength junction and Squall has like his skill, which basically means you're more or less guaranteed to get critical damage on your attacks. So it kind of synergizes there. Also, I think personality wise, I think that's a better fit. Uh, see, this is where I think it's kind of pervy for a dude to have oh. such a hot uh, <laughs> GS. You're going like, to say this to me? You're going to say this to me? Right, right. Saying, it's, either, it's either you're perving on a hot ice lady or you're a monster fucker. You don't win. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, listen, it's just, I, I am more comfortable with Quistus having Shiva at this point. Mm -hmm. um, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to okay. say. Junctioning Shiva, it's just like, you know, having a Maxim magazine that you can summon uh, whenever you want. Yeah, and he's a teenager. It's fine. He, yeah, it is fine. It's perfectly it's, natural yeah, part of growing up. is such a huge part of this yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, I'm I, busted. <laughs> <laughs> I got too much AP on everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I spent a lot of time grinding up cards at the beginning, getting card mod, and like the the thing that I do that's at least not the most sicko version of this there are like these fish enemies at the beach that are like underground when you first fight them and when you hit them they come into the air they drop fish fins and fish fins turn into 20 waters with ice mag rf which are mm -hmm. it's a very good early game strength junction to have 100 waters and you can yeah. get it super like relatively fast. Plus also that's the best way to grind for AP at the beginning of the game because you get six AP every battle. Whereas like fighting a gnat or a jellyfish gets you one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's usually how I open the game. I'm doing my strict anti-grinding, anti-sicko, <laughs> try to make the game as difficult as possible policy. And I'm having a great time with it. Uh, you know, only drawing one time per character per random battle because I know that those refine those spell refine skills are coming in the next like five, six hours. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just vibing. Um, the, the one thing is like it, you really are only choosing characters for limit breaks. They are so yep. interchangeable. It's like yeah, not it's even funny. Yeah. That is kind of, I think the biggest bummer here is that you kind of want there to be some more limitations or to be at least some more benefits like, or synergies with, attaching certain GFs to certain characters. Yeah. Um, and that's not really a thing. So I know we had a lot to say, but does anyone have any closing thoughts for this first part of the game that they hadn't mentioned before? This is basically the furthest I've ever been in this game is a little past this. So hmm. yeah. Word. I, I think this does a good job at uh, setting up these characters as being as immature as they are. 
um, yeah. which is a uh, which is good because you know, especially for Squall, this is a little bit of a you know, ma- <laughs> a different kind of coming of age story. Let's say I don't know. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard for me to speak authoritatively on this because I'm not as aware of anime tropes. So I might say like, oh, this is the only place I've seen this. It literally is the only place I've seen this because yeah. I don't know what this might be drawing from. But I think that, you know, so many, you know, JRPGs, you know, things that are in the genre of fiction, it's like you've got these really young characters, but they're hyper competent. You know, they end up just basically functioning like adults, except for their affects. You know, here we mm-hmm. actually have incomplete people acting yeah. as realistically as though they have not entirely grown up which you know i think gives this game a little bit of a reputation you know for uh, uh having maybe some characters who might be annoying to a lot of folks but i think is a is a, is a good choice and they commit to it yeah like yeah yeah that's very well said like having now like more recent the last couple of years absorbed a lot of more manga and anime than I used to. I can see the tropes way more clearly now. Like Selfie is a very Genki character and Zell's the blonde hothead. And yeah, there's there's ways in which you could kind of see the wireframe more of where the tropes are coming from. And this was also my first exposure to a lot of these. And so it didn't really hit me as like, oh, I've seen this before. But yeah, I I think the fact that they are definitely teenagers acting like teenagers I still find it very refreshing as compared mm-hmm. to like, you know, there are some times you run into a character and it's like a 14 year old wouldn't say that. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> this is right. absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, really down for it. I know I basically already said everything you could possibly say about it during the, the episode proper. Apologies. Uh, I talk a lot. Um, but I had a memory and. It's still true that, like, story-wise, Final Fantasy VIII starts really slowly. Mm-hmm. It does not have the immediate hook that six and seven do, where you are thrust into a conflict where you have stakes and you have characters and it's just right in your face. And so instead, they really front load the character work and they really front load presentational density and... It means that I was not bored, even though they're throwing a lot at you and not really giving you that many plot treats. They do give you two extremely good CG cut three uh, extremely good CG <laughs> cutscenes, But like, it's just I am surprised at how engaging it is when we are still very much in the ramp up. Yeah. So plugs, do y'all have anything you want to share with the listeners? Cole, you can kick it off here as the guest. Yeah, uh, do too many shows over at DuckFeed.tv. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch out for Fireballs is uh, similar to this. So is Bonfireside Chat. Uh, that is a general games book club and a deep dive right now into Elden Ring, uh, respectively. But uh, there's other stuff over there, too. And uh, I stream horror games every weekend night uh, over at uh, Twitch.tv slash DuckFeedTV. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know. It is definitely your fault that this show exists. <laughs> yeah, we we met we met in the Duckfield yeah. Slack. Yeah, and I I love it. Yeah, yeah, it, d- doing good in the world, spreading more podcasts. Uh, well, depends on how you feel about podcasts. <laughs> That's the thing. Podcasts have done a lot of damage. No, I I love when people pick up and run. Yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah, it was great to have you back. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Always a fun guest mm-hmm. you are. Uh, you can find me over at my website with a variety of projects, hellscaper.com. 
So you can listen to music that I make at Bandcamp, uh, band, uh, canonandvarin.bandcamp.com, or my solo stuff, which is slowly being completed at soundcloud.com slash catastrophizer. Also, if you subscribe to the Pitch Drop Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you can listen to former erstwhile will come back after Final Fantasy VIII. Lightning Strikes Thrice co-host Chris Taylor and I talk about Final Fantasy XIV from start to finish with our podcast, Icons and Icons. It is like this show, uh, but about an MMO. We are so close to starting the acclaimed expansion Heavensward, but those patches are so plot-dense that it will likely be several episodes before we actually get there. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Saying that Chris is going to come back sounds like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, but if you want to listen to him anyway, uh, you can listen to <laughs> Boku no Stop, which is our anime watch along podcast. There's two versions. There's a free version where we are currently covering Lupin the Third, the woman called Fujiko Mine, and our premium yes. version, which Chris is on, for patron backers only, on which we are covering Death Note. Um, also, just a plug it real quick we did a couple of movies for the free version that uh, are for patrons only we covered project Aiko, the first Aiko movie and also uh urusei yatsura too. urusei yatsura beautiful dreamer. yeah and i those are also really good episodes so if you listen to the free version and you subscribe or you're interested like go check those out as well also, you can read my Yuri manga reviews on Okazu at okazu.yuricon.com. I've had a few of those, and there's going to be more coming. That's all until next time, where we'll be talking about the Timber Mission up to the second dream sequence. See ya. Farewell. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.